Okay, how's it going? I'm Ed Houseman, your guide to the 25th, the 21st century. 25th, what am, I, what am I doing? I've been up all night preparing for this. If I ain't got bag, I got dark circles under my eyes, and I need to turn off volume on Odyssey and Rumble. Okay, I'm ready. Hey, I got a whole bunch of news articles to, write, to read. I hope I stay awake during all this because I'm running on zero hours of sleep. How's it going? How's it going out there on the internet, on Rumble and on Odyssey? And if I can get kicked to work. No, kick doesn't like me. Oh, kick's not a priority because I don't have any... I found links to put in the uh, description, so I'm on Rumble and Odyssey. All right, how's it going? We got so much to talk about the last couple of weeks. We got to catch up. Uh, we got to talk about the uh, nitwit prosecutor in Georgia, Fannie Willis, going after the rightful president, Mr. Donald Trump. We got to talk about uh, Joe Biden's deliberate, you know, sabotage of our economy. We got to talk about gold, Bitcoin. We got to talk about real estate. We got to talk about the um, bioweapon called the, called the COVID jab. Um, a lot of us took it. A lot of us were deceived by people we thought we could trust, namely our medical doctors and the medical industry. We should have saw, we should have taken notice by all the TikTok dances, but I don't have TikTok. I'm not going to download that crap. Uh, we got to talk about the war in Ukraine and the buildup of war. We got to talk about pop culture, namely video games and a certain RPG by Bethesda that a boy as is getting huge viral attention by ranting over and a few other odds and ends. So let's get started. If you find this content viable, please like, share, and subscribe on whatever platform you're watching this on. If, you, if you're watching on Rumble, give it a thumbs up. If you're watching on Honestly, give it a thumbs up. And if you're watching on podcast, give it a thumbs up. Subscribe. Share it with your uh, friends and loved ones. And let's get started. Just waiting for the um, page load. Remarkably dishonest. District Attorney Fannie Willis violates the law. This is from Technofog on Substack. By way of Zero Hedge, we're gonna see, we're gonna have a lot of Zero Hedge articles on this uh, stream. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis has gone from criminalizing court filings to committing crimes with respect to her own court filings. Her own court filings. Georgia law makes it unlawful to knowingly file a court document, no longer having reason to know that such document is false or contains materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent statement or representation. That is Georgia Code. Um, 161021B1. DA Willis is well aware of this law. She charged a number of defendants, including Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and John Eastman, with a violation of that law for filing in a document that contained a materially false statement in federal court. And she just violated it this week. For background, Georgia law allows for a speedy trial demand in accordance with the Sixth Amendment, 
which provides that the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial. Two defendants, Kenneth Jean, Kenneth John Cheesebro and Sidney Powell, have made that request pursuant to Georgia law. DA Wells responded to these speedy trial demands with an utterly false motion to advise to inform the court and the defendants of the consequences of their request for a speedy trial. This motion was a violation of uh, 161021B1. By no means are we making a stretch. The statutory violations are clear and obvious. DA Willis and her team invented legal theories and misled the court about relevant case law that allegedly supported her position. Let us explain. Willis made four main assertions in her motion, quoted in full below. Here's a diagram. As will be delineated infra under Georgia law, the defendant's decision to file a speedy trial demands limits may limit certain of their options in this case. Namely, the defense cannot now argue that they are entitled to the state's discovery responses 10 days in advance of the trial. The defense cannot argue they are entitled to the notice of the state's similar transaction evidence 10 days in advance of the trial. The defendants are now precluded from calling any witnesses whose statements were not provided to the state at least 10 days in advance of the trial. And four, the defendants cannot now complain that they received less than seven days notice of the trial date in this case. And each of these um, bullet points has a supposed case press case as a precedent. All these statements are demonstrably false. First, D.A. Willis alleges that the defense, because of the defense's speedy trial demand, they cannot now argue that they are entitled to the state's discovery responses 10 days in advance of the trial. This is not true. Georgia law requires D.A. Willis to provide, produce a broad spectrum of evidence no later than 10 days prior to trial, and it lists the uh, specific code. A defense request for speedy trial does not waive this obligation. Furthermore, the defendants are not precluded from arguing they are entitled to evidence under Georgia law by the mere fact that they requested a speedy trial. Those cases D.A. Willis cites as part of her position, they do not apply. They do not stand for the claim D.A. Willis says they do. The Smith case involved a criminal defendant that requested a continuance. The Ruff case had to do with a defendant rejecting a continuance offer from a court trial where the state did not disclose witnesses in a timely manner. Neither case precludes the ability of the defendant to object to a later disclosure of evidence. So the article, this article goes on to explain why each of these um, motions is bogus. Really, Willis is just throwing um, word salad at the court and hoping that everyone involved is too intimidated to really follow up on it, to really look at what she's saying and call her out on it. Now, will the judge and, and whoever's in charge of the quick case back her up or will they back up Trump and his, you know, friend, friends and team and, and co-defendants? That, that remains to be seen. But as I've said on previous videos on this channel, Trump and friends are really not the ones on trial here. Danny Willis is. The court system is. The Georgia elections courts or, you know, system is on trial because he is showing, President Trump is showing the outrageous injustice happening here for all the world to see. You know, when Trump released the mugshot of, of, his, uh, of his indictment, that sent light bulbs activating, turning on from from sea to shining sea because how many how many normal citizens have been screwed by the system? How many 
black Americans have been screwed by the system. They they can, you know, birds of the feather flock together. They understand what is happening to President Trump. And he um he has endeared himself greatly to um everyone who's been screwed by the system because it's, they're doing it to him. So he's showing just how rotten the system is and how deep and wide the corruption is. The system is on trial, not him. And once we establish that the system is corrupt, once once he um either proves in court that the 2020 election was stolen in this in this situation, or he shows that the whole court system is is illegitimate, and therefore we need to uh, devolve into military justice because these swamps creatures they collude with foreign governments to subvert the um, to steal. 2020 election and who knows how many other elections you know we're going to talk about arizona in a little bit when congress rubber stamped joe biden's election seal on january 6 2020 that should have told everyone that congress themselves stole their own elections not all of them but, but a lot of them so how many how many members of congress how many members of your state legislature uh, or your uh, your mayors or our governors or city council members, or prosecutors, or DAs, how many of them really are those the the, the lawful the lawful holders of those of those positions? It's gonna blow everything up. So we are we are we are still in the discovery phase of this whole information war, this whole second American Revolution. Like I always say, we're in a race between the Great Awakening, and the Great Reset. Can the bad guys implement their depopulation agenda, their 50-minute cities, their CBDCs? Can they implement that before we, the people, figure them out and put a stop to it? So, moving on. Explosive revelation that Fannie Willis is linked to massive election fraud. And this is from the Gateway Pundit. This is another pretty lengthy article. I might just read the first few paragraphs. Guest post by Chris Gleason. In a shocking turn of events, a bombshell investigation has uncovered jaw-dropping connections between Fannie Willis and a sprawling web of election fraud and money laundering activities. Fannie Willis' involvement will be sure to send shockwaves through the uh, political landscape. The investigation, which spans across multiple states and multiple jurisdictions, has revealed a complex network of illicit operations aimed at undermining the very foundation of our constitutional republic and the rule of law. Sources close to the matter suggest that Willis was a massive beneficiary in the federal and Georgia RICO enterprises. It appears that she's currently playing a key role in orchestrating the systematic scheme to manipulate election outcomes, casting doubt on the integrity of the entire electoral process. What did I say? How many elected officials were really elected? In the lead up to the uh, 2022 midterm elections, my team uncovered, the office team uncovered a massive money laundering network of campaign finance contributions being made via Act Blue. That's the um, fundraising you know, organization that serves Democrats. One of the top beneficiaries of this money laundering RICO enterprise was none other than Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock. The Gateway Pundit was the first news organization to cover the massive money laundering network that financed the Raphael Warnock campaign. As our investigation progressed, we expanded our efforts into other states such as Missouri, Maryland, Wisconsin, Arizona, 
and then into every single state. Working with the Epic Times investigative journalist Stephen Kovac, we made a stunning find. Many of the top ActBlue contributors never made the individual contributions. Many of these non-employed individual co contributors were the victims of a highly sophisticated money laundering scheme. Oh, this reminds me of that uh, James O'Keefe, you know, expose where a whole lot of um, Democrats owners were surprised that they were Democrats owners. I think I'm going to read this whole article because this is this is really good. The scheme was further exposed when I provided the data to James O'Keefe and his people at the O'Keefe Media Group, who captured many unwitting money laundering smurfs in Maryland. Yep, just what I thought. This massive ongoing money laundering operation involves wire fraud, evasion of campaign finance limits, structuring of financial transactions, tax fraud, nonprofit fraud, identity theft, and elder abuse. The RICO operation is still in operation today. Using the identities of unwitting elderly and other Democrat voters, this massive RICO money laundering enterprise is the fuel for the entire election fraud RICO operation. Miami District Attorney. The criminal money laundering enterprise operates at the federal, state, and local levels. The first local elected official identified as part of this money laundering operation was none other than Alan Bragg. They got the, uh, the dipshit who launched the first Trump indictment. Alvin Bragg received massive numbers of campaign finance contributions from the network of individuals who had been identified as Smurfs. That invocation into, the investigation into Alvin Bragg also helped uncover the use of prepaid credit card and debit cards and the structuring of the campaign finance contributions and the payment of ballot harvesting mules. Does anyone find it interesting that Alvin Bragg charged Donald Trump criminally with a campaign finance violation while benefiting from money laundering RICO enterprise? I find that interesting, but not surprising. These are narcissists. These are psychopaths. Their MO is to accuse their enemies and their victims of what they themselves do. That's projection. Every single... Okay. Conf accusations from these psychopaths are really confessions. Once you, under once you understand that, their, their arguments disappear. They're vaporized. You can say, whenever you're dealing with some godforsaken troll on Twitter who's spouting the most outrageous bullcrap, just say, okay, Democrats do what, what you just said. Whenever someone says, okay, Donald Trump is a traitor and he led a violent insurrection on January 6th, you can say, okay, Nancy Pelosi is a traitor and she led a violent insurrection on January 26th. Got it. That's a very, you know robust way of saying it. I, I'm a lot better at being pithy on social media than I am speaking, but there, there you go. Has Alvin Bragg refunded all the illegal campaign finance contributions made to his campaign yet? Buying the justice you want. This systematic funneling of illicit campaign finance funds also identified was also identified in the Wisconsin Supreme Court race of Janet uh, Prostasiewicz, the Janet for Justice campaign took on massive amounts of money from individual contributors who were also identified as part of the nationwide act of blue money laundering RICO enterprise. How much does it take to buy a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court in 2023? Over $23.3 was raised, mostly from leftist PACs, funded largely through Soros, George Soros-linked organizations and the act of blue money laundering enterprise. The nationwide act blue money mules and Smurfs made massive numbers of individual contributions the PACs that largely influenced the Janet for Justice campaign. Should the people of Wisconsin be concerned about the purchase of a Supreme Court seat 
be a massive money, nation, nationwide money laundering scheme using the stolen identities of the elderly. How many other judges and, judges and courts have been compromised nationwide at the federal, state, and local levels? They say follow the money, so he did. I said I would read this whole article, and I will do that. But man, this is this is good stuff. Say they say follow the money, so we did. The information on Fannie Willis's campaign contributions was obtained directly from the state of Georgia campaign finance database. Link to it there. Maybe I'll link to the um this article on my website. The first item we identified in the Fannie Willis campaign finance report was that there are 222 contributions to a campaign that had zero donor information. Another point of interest was that many of the campaign contributions to the Fannie Wells campaign were from out-of-state contributors. Many of these were many of these out-of-state contributors fit the profile of the Act Blue money laundering scheme victims and participants that we had, had identified in every single state across America. You can check the names yourself using the FEC campaign finance database located here. Okay, I'm definitely going to share this article on my website so you can um, click the links and do this do the search yourself. The out-of-state Smurfs raise significant suspicions. Why would elderly people who do not contribute in their own local elections be interested in making campaign contributions to a little-known Georgia district attorney running in 2022? Upon further investigation, a pattern seems to emerge yet again. When contacted about making campaign contributions to Fannie Willis, one of the elderly people on the list stated that she had never made a single campaign contribution to her campaign. She assured me that she had not made multiple campaign, multiple campaign contributions. Another interesting pattern raised significant questions. Why has this particular campaign contributor been using addresses in multiple states to make campaign contributions? Upon further investigation, this Fannie Willis campaign contributor was registered to vote in several states. Another individual, wait a minute, registered to vote in several states? Ballot fraud. Continuing, another individual Fannie Willis campaign contributor who had made a single campaign contribution was also identified as an individual contributor making campaign finance contributions using addresses in multiple states that include Florida, <coughs> Wisconsin, Illinois, and New York. Coincidentally, this, indiv this individual made identical contributions via ActBlue to the same PACs and campaigns. The same individual was also listed as a registered voter in multiple states casting vote by mail ballots. Mail ballots. As we investigate, all the individual contributors to the Fannie Willis campaign and examine their ongoing contributions via Act Blue. We see that all these individuals are making contributions to the same PACs and candidates. This ongoing pattern of activity appears to have started in great scale in 2018 and was rapidly accelerating at the federal, state, and local levels. So when they say, oh, Trump is an albatross of the Republican Party, he lost, Republicans lost in 2018, 2022, and 20. In 2020, it's because <coughs> it's because they're it's because the Democrats had to ramp up their cheating. That's why blaming the victim. One of the out-of-state Fannie Willis campaign contribu contributors had made over 9,178 individual contributions just at the federal level since 2018. What is the cost of buying Atlantic? Atlanta District Attorney race. Numbers here, total contributions, $226,416.15. So just kind of shows the diagram there. 
This article keeps going. I'm going to read it all. How is it that so many people from out of state that are not employed are making so many campaign finance contributions to a little known distant journey in Atlanta, Georgia, beginning in 2022? What is being seen at a growing and alarming rate is that the nationwide money laundering RICO enterprise is making more and more contributions to PACs, and these PACs are financing local candidates. Many of these PACs have strong ties to the numerous Soros-connected organizations that are active participants in the nationwide election fraud, money laundering, terrorist network financing, and the massive ongoing RICO enterprise. Since we first exposed the Act Blue Enterprise funding, Warnock and several other Democratic candidates and PACs have started to shift the way that they have been operating. However, we have clearly identified who is involved and how they have been illegally influencing the outcomes of elections nationwide. These criminal organizations also share significant connections with the law firm Perkins Coie. This is the same law firm that was behind the false claims of Russia, Russian collusion on the part of the Trump campaign in 2016. The image below is an excerpt of the deposition of FBI agent Elvis Chan, where he admits that he conspired to censor Americans on big tech and social media platforms. This activity amounted to the largest campaign finance violations in history of the United States via undisclosed in-kind campaign co finance contributions first reported in the Gateway Pundit. So the question, do you see that? The one on the screen share? Answer, 8.32 a.m., October 4th. Yes, I see this email. Question, and are you being copied on emails lower down from Michael Sussman at Perkins Coie? Is that fair to say? Answer, yes, I've been, I've been copied. The email is another DOJ official. Question, and then you forward that along to other FBI officials, Patricia Rich, Patricia Rich and Dylan Hamill. Do you see that? Answer, yes, I see that. Question, do you know why Mr. Sussman was copying you on an email about sharing information on a rolling basis? Answer, because I was involved with, I oversaw the squad that was responsible for one of the investigations of the 2016 hack of the DNC. And Mr. Sussman was their legal representative. Question, which squad did you oversee? Answer, I oversaw the Russian cyber squad, FBI San Francisco. Question, and the Russian cyber squad was involved was involved in trying to analyze the DNC server, see how it had been hacked. So that's the end of that a little screenshot. Most large criminal money laundering enterprises function with the assistance of willing attorneys and bankers. Perkins Cooley is by far one of the largest beneficiaries of this RICO money laundering network. The firm received vast sums of illicit money via legal fees paid by the PACs and committees who helped launder the campaign finance contributions made in the name of over a million individuals whose identities have been stolen and use to structure financial transactions and circumvent federal campaign finance limits. Ooh, the banks. How are they involved? Act Blue and the numerous PACs, nonprofits, and organizations have been utilizing the services of several large banking institutions. They are JP Morgan Chase, who helped start the Federal Reserve on Jekyll Island, Bank of America, and Amalgamated Bank. If these esteemed financial institutions have been doing any form of MAL fraud detection, in compliance, they would have filed suspicious activities reports and should have certainly raised alarms. Were these reports filed? Who failed to act? Has a criminal enterprise infiltrated the United States Department of Justice and weaponized it against their political opposition? How can the Federal Election Commission continue to claim ignorance? The evidence of the massive RICO operation and money laundering enterprise is being directly reported to them. This certainly would fall under the category of willful blindness doctrine on their part. We have seen extensive issues with the way that the FEC is handling the data and the receipts of these illicit campaign finance contributions. Commissioner Trainer, 
has turned a blind eye to many of these violations. This was first reported via the author's personal communications to the FEC and covered by the Gateway Pundit. The infiltration of the FEC can also be best viewed through the lens that the FEC claimed there was no issue with Twitter's censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story illegally interfering with the legitimate news story that definitively, definitively affected the outcome of the 2020 election. Now, discussion about the RICO Act. The RICO Act, which stands for the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, is a federal law in the United States that was enacted in 1970. It was passed as part of the Organized Crime Control Act to, com to, com to combat organized criminal enterprises, particularly those associated with organized crime syndicates like the Mafia. And Rudy Giuliani became famous as a federal prosecutor in the 80s for taking on the Mafia in New York. While the RICO Act is primarily a federal law in the United States, in the United States some states have adopted their own versions of RICO laws, often referred to as state RICO or little RICO laws. <clears throat> Georgia is one of those states which has a RICO statute. Congress described RICO as an act designed to prevent known mobsters from infiltrating legitimate businesses. RICO outlaws four types of activities. Uh, one, prohibits a person from investing in an enterprise of any income derived from a pattern of racketeering activity. Two, prohibits a person from using a pattern of racketeering activity to acquire or maintain control over an enterprise. Three, prohibits a person from conducting the affairs of an enterprise through a pattern of racketeering. And four, prohibits a person from conspiring to violate uh, A, B, or C uh, racketeering activity as an element common to all of RICO's prohibitions. Congress defined racketeering activity to include a variety of state and federal predicate crimes. RICO is not violated by a single short episode of racketeering. Rather, there must be a pattern of racketeering activity, meaning long-term organized conduct. Persons convicted of violating RICO's criminal provisions are subject to imprisonment and forfeiture of certain assets. Section 1961 defines racketeering activity broadly to encompass any of the state and federal predicate offenses listed in uh, Part 1961-1. RICO claims must be based on actual racketeering conduct, conduct that amounts to Garden variety state law crimes, torts, and contract breaches does not qualify as racketeering activity under RICO. The offenses listed in 1961 are called predicate acts because at least one of them must be have must have been committed through a pattern to sustain a RICO claim. We're almost done. Issues relating to mail and wire fraud as predicate acts. Mail fraud and wire fraud are included as racketeering activities and are alleged as a predicate act in a high percentage of civil RICO claims. Criminal mail and wire fraud involves a scheme based on an intent to defraud, and two, the use of the mails or wires to further that scheme. The specific elements of mail or wire are, one, a plan or scheme to defraud, two, an intent to defraud, three, reasonable foreseeability that the mail or wires will be used, and four, actual use of the mail or wires to further the scheme. Mailings or wirings sent or delivered through the use of any private or commercial interstate carrier may violate the mail fraud statute. Do you think the use of grossly inflated voter rolls used to send vote-by-mail ballots to voters with undeliverable mailing addresses for ballot harvesting fits the requirements for mail fraud? Do you think that using the internet to make fraudulent campaign finance contributions fits the requirements for wire fraud? Do you think that using the stolen identity of elderly citizens to launder money into political campaign fits the requirement for wire fraud? RICO was designed to prevent the illicit infiltration 
of legitimate enterprises. This explains why the conduct prohibited in uh, Part 1962 is unlawful only if it occurs in connection with the investment in acquisition of or operation of an enterprise affecting interstate commerce. In other words, RICO generally does not target the enterprise, but the bad actors who misuse or wrongfully acquire or invest in in a legitimate enterprise, like district attorneys, judges, and other government, government officials. As the investigation unfolds, more details are emerging, leaving citizens bewildered and demanding answers. The sheer audacity of these actions should prompt calls for an immediate and thorough investigation, with many wondering if justice can truly prevail in the face of such staggering allegations. Not with the courts the way they are. We're going to have to establish that these criminals engaged in foreign collusion with foreign enemies. Therefore, bring in the military as because that would be an act of war. Fannie Willis, once seen as a rising star in the Georgia political arena, is now grappling with a full-blown scandal that threatens to irreparably tarnish her reputation and upend her career. The implications of these revelations are far-reaching, serving as a stark reminder of the fragility of trust in public officials and the lengths some might go to for power and wealth. In the days and weeks to come, as the investigation intensifies, the world will be watching closely to see how the authorities handle this unprecedented crisis. The fate of Annie Wills hangs the balance, and the court behind and the truth behind these explosive allegations will undoubtedly reshape the course of history. Holy crap! All right, I don't know if I'll read all the rest of this article in this segment because that one that one took forever. But um, I just want to note that Trump prosecutor Fannie Willis, her father was a top Black Panther, and those in the know know that the Black Panthers were really a faction of, of the communist part, the communist organization. The father of Georgia District Attorney prosecuting Donald Trump was a prominent Black Panther, as have revealed. All right. We've got the liar-in-chief, or at least the... Um, Honor guard of the liars, Adam Schiff saying, um, "President because of the Fourteenth Amendment." No, he's not. And this next article explains why. Come on, just waiting for the page to load. I don't know if it's my internet or my computer processor. Huge win for Trump. Judge swiftly dismisses lawsuit against him. Rules plaintiffs have no standing. How intellectually po- impoverished is the argument that the Fourteenth? Amendment prevents Donald Trump from running for president. So much so, in fact, that a Barack Obama appointed judge swiftly dismissed the lawsuit from a group arguing that the former president should be able to appear on the Florida primary ballot because of the events of January 6, 2021. According to the Palm Beach Post, Judge Robin Rosenberg didn't rule on whether the 14th Amendment could apply to Trump's 2024 candidacy. Instead, Rosenberg ruled that the plaintiffs, Boynton Beach attorney Lawrence Kaplan and two others lacked standing to bring the challenge the outlet reported. In the ruling, the judge also cited prior precedent in which plaintiffs weren't able to keep candidates off the ballot because of their association with January 6th. And I think one of those precedents involves uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. The theory that the 14th Amendment provides a legal remedy to keep certain candidates who wish to challenge the results of the 2020 election off, off the ballot isn't a new one. It's also one that hasn't gotten very far in court. 
The amendment, ratified in the wake of the Civil War, states, no person shall be a senator or representative of Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or any under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Well, that doesn't include Trump, but that does include, but it does include Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, the whole RICO organized crime syndicate that is the Democrat Party, which is an organ, or, an organized crime syndicate, syndicate disguised as, as a political party. So, yeah, Adam Schiff can stick a pineapple up his ass. So. I just want to end the segment on a video that General Mike Flynn retweeted on X. I mean, the fact that so much is going on against Trump, it's waking a lot of people up. And this lady explains the situation perfectly. She wasn't a fan of Trump at first. Neither was I back in 2016. But the fact that certain certain parties are so adamant against them, that should raise... That should ring some alarm bells. So if we're just going to, we're just waiting for this video to load. General Mike Flynn says, we need more of this. Sorry, it's just taking forever to buffer. An independent, and I see things. So if so, so if you followed me for a while, you know that I never stick up for Trump. I'm an independent, and I see things on both sides, and I see the positive and negative. Here's the deal, though. When you are spending so much money, time, and energy on trying to take somebody down, it makes me want to look at things differently. Trump is no longer the president, yet this current administration, pretty much majority of the time, blames everything on Trump. Is Trump not the president? I do think he's the commander-in-chief. I've discussed that before. Even though they've been the current administration for two years. The fact that they're spending so much, again, time, money, and energy on trying to take him down, I'm starting to feel like maybe everything that he said was true. Like, I remember when he was first president, if you follow me, you know this, I was devastated, right? And he was saying things like, fake news. And I was like, what a douchebag, right? And he's talking about how much evil there was and how the MSN, the mainstream media and the liberals and Democrats were hiding from us and were actually doing some very sketchy, illegal, awful things. And I kept thinking, my God, what a, what he's, he's lost his mind. But now when the left, the, the media, the liberals and Democrats are trying so hard to take him down and silence him, I'm like, hmm. For me, it was the media. He Trump won me over when he called out the media to their faces during a press conference. That was that was the red line for me. 
maybe he wasn't batshit crazy. Maybe he does have information and knowledge about things that they're doing. And that's why they're spending so much time, energy, and money on trying to take him down and silence him. Pretty much silence everybody who doesn't agree and toe the line. It makes me, and I hope a lot of other people, open their minds and their eyes and see what truly might be going on. I mean, at least pause, take a step back and think, could I be wrong? Could everything I've been told be wrong? And I think if you take some time and delve and do some research, research that's not just given to you, like go and delve in and get more information from more than one resource, your eyes are gonna be open. Now I'm awake, not woke. It's uncomfortable to see the things and I get it, right? It, it might feel better not to know these things and believe these things, but it's dangerous if you don't see them and if you don't speak about them. By the time you do see them, it's going to be too late to speak about them and to fight back. Party logic. Well said. Yes. The fact they're going so hard on Trump, it means he has information. That's why he's got to get, get in for a second term because he has seen the classified information that the deep state tried to hide. He knows the bodies are buried. He, we need him back in the White House so we can finish this job. Right now, we're kind of in this um, four years without a, without a real president. You know, I will never call Joe Biden the president unless I'm, unless I'm quoting someone else. I call him either the resident or the sniffer. And right now, Trump is kind of in this gray area where he's the commander-in-chief of the military. You know, Trump knew they were going to steal in 2020. He knew they're going to, you know, do one of their color revolutions that they done in so many other countries, including Ukraine. He knew that in order to um, defuse a violent situation in the U.S., he had to prepare and install the phases of the evolution so that the military could take control of the government when it was clear that there was an insurrection on November 3rd, 2020 and January 6th, 2021. The, the instruction by the deep state. So right now we're kind of in this um, devolution phase. And we're going to see kind of what they're doing in the next, what they're all doing and revealing themselves to be doing in the next segment. But we are, right now we're in the discovery phase. After, 20, after, after 2024, it's going to be the action phase. It's going to be the part where we strike back and take down these, take these bastards down. So, before we go any further, let me talk about where you, you can support the uh, channel and the program or the podcast, whatever you're listening to. And that is by joining my Locals group. Locals.com is like a alternative to Patreon and Discord or whatever. You can create your own community and anyone can join. If you want to post my board... You can uh, become a paid supporter for five dollars a month. That's you know the price of a Starbucks, just every 30, 30 or so days, and share memes. I do that for some of my favorite content creators like Raging Golden Eagle and Camelot and Salty Cracker. Now I've gotten a lot of traction on my on my on my Rumble channel by posting on their groups. So come join their group come join their parties and come join my party and we'll all have a great big you know we'll, we'll build a parallel network to go after these um nitwits so let's just check chats here 
I don't see any on Rumble. I don't see any on Odyssey. That's fine. I know I'm still a small channel. I'm averaging maybe 400 or 500 views per video. And that's not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but I'm growing. And I want to earn your support. I want to give you content. I will never beg for, you know, super chats or, you know, donations. I want to offer you something, you know, I want to, I want to give you an incentive support this program by offering you some good affiliate links to good services or letting you be part of a community. So I will leave these, you know, videos up on Rumble and Odyssey and on the podcast for you to uh, check out later. And if you want to um, support in another way, I've got a subscribe button on the bottom of the chat section of Rumble. So you can join that. You can join that way as well. So let's move on. You probably heard about this. The neo-Nazis in Florida. The Nazis were marching in Florida on Saturday. Quote, unquote. They had a large following for their rally, with every member in new red shirts and face masks. Most of the protesters hid their faces. They hid their faces. Okay, what does that tell you? But a couple of tattooed Nazis left the masks in their, their masks in the, in the car. Who's this guy? He appears to be one of the only Nazis who will show his face. <clears throat> Is that some Norse runes along inside of his head? And who's the tattooed guy behind him? Ooh, look at that. Tattoos everywhere. He shouldn't be too hard to identify. Eric Matheny tweets, These guys are actors, straight out of central casting. The feds really wanted to put on a impressive display for their handlers. Brendan Gutenschwager tweets, The blood tribe group currently at the um, Altamont Strings, Florida. Don't buy it. Says, feds can't act, says Cat Turd. Cat Turd's awesome. I need to listen to him more often. Update. One of the Nazis is a Ukrainian soldier. Shouldn't he be fighting Russia on the Eastern Front? Catherine says, paid actors and feds can't stop laughing at their brand new clean uniforms, flags, and hoodies. According to Laura Loomer, who confronted these uh, these creeps, Kent Boneface McClellan was arrested by the FBI in Florida for domestic terrorism in May of 2012. The FBI said he and others were preparing a terrorist act against national minorities in Florida. He then fled to Ukraine to join right sector, a creation of the CIA in 2014. In 2022, he returned to Ukraine and was report and was reportedly deported. He's now he's back in Florida where he's active in the local Nazi scene. Yesterday he was he was on Interstate 4 with a group of Nazis who were saying to support Joe Biden while they were waving swastika flags and shouting slurs at me because I'm Jewish. There's no way you get away with all that after being arrested by the FBI for domestic terrorism. And there's no way you get away with traveling to Ukraine to fight in a foreign war as an American citizen, effective mercenary, unless you are some type of FBI or CIA informant. Kent Boneface McClellan was arrested by the FBI in Florida for domestic terrorism in May of 2012. The FBI said he and others were preparing a terrorist act against national minorities in Florida. Okay, that's just a tweet that the above was put. More from Laura Limmer. One of the Nazis who I caught on camera yesterday at the Nazi rally in Altamont Springs, Florida, has been working with the CIA by his own admission to help recruit Nazis to fight Ukraine, to fight in Ukraine, where he himself fought alongside the right sector in a South Italian. So, 
Putin was telling the truth. There are Nazis in Ukraine. Yeah, let's see here. Neo-Nazis blow up that false them narrative when they announce they support Biden. Yeah, Laurel Loomer covered that. So we don't have to we don't have to give Nazis, fascists, communists the benefit of the, of the doubt anymore. They're all come from the same cloth. They are all the only difference between Nazis and communists is their propaganda. They're no more different from each other than Coke and Pepsi. They're both criminal organizations bent on world domination. They are equally anti-Semitic. They're both anti-capitalist. And they're both really separate tentacles of the same New World Order sea monster. So we don't have to we don't have to regard them as conservative or republican. Conservatives hate Nazis just as much as they hate hate communists. Democrats love communists, so that's on them. Now, how do we uh, deal with these people without getting violent? Well, I always say, as a martial artist, you never want to attack first. A true martial artist does not start fights. They end them. And one of the ways we end fights and violence is by being armed and taking on, you know, violent criminals after they attack. So... This is from the Daily Caller. FBI misleads Americans about how often armed citizens stop active shooters, gun violence expert claims. This is from August 31st. Former Senior Advisor for Research and Statistics for the U.S. Department of Justice, John R. Lott Jr., claims the FBI has misreported how many armed citizens have stopped active shooters. Lott had the task of evaluating the FBI's active shooter, shooting reports. He found the Bureau had missed and misidentified cases cases regarding armed citizens stopping active shooters, Lott reported. The former senior advisor claims the correct, state, the correct rate of armed citizens stopping active shooters is almost eight times higher than the FBI's claim of 14 of uh, 302 from 2014 to 2022. While the FBI claims just 4.6 of active shooters are stopped by law-abiding citizens carrying guns, yeah, the percentage I found was 35.7%. I am more confident that we have identified a higher rate a higher share of recent cases, and our figure for 2022 is even higher. 41.3% lot reported. So, I'll never forget that case of the uh, shooting at the church in Texas when I think only two or three people got killed and, and the shooter was taken out by a member of the congregation who had a gun of his own. That blew up the gun control lobby their argument, it blew it, it vaporized their argument. And if that didn't do it, then 2020 certainly cost them the, cost them the debate because we saw so many, you know, violent riots, mostly peaceful protests, and a lot of them were taken down, taken out by citizens with guns. I'm not saying go out and hunt these, these uh, criminals, but defend yourselves. There's no first punch of karate, and there's no first shot in self-defense. Just, you know, really, the highest skill in martial arts is not using martial arts. So just make sure that would-be criminals know that you can fight back, and a lot of them will just back off 
you know, right out of the gate. Most mass shooters, they don't go to areas where they know there's armed security or there's armed citizens. They go to, you know, gun-free zones where the people can't fight back. Schools, churches, grocery stores, anywhere they know, they can kill a lot of people. So, David Hogg, that little that little shit wants people to get killed. Don't listen, you know, listen to what he uh, rails against rather than what he actually says. So, Biden kneecaps Biden administration kneecaps task force charged with protecting kids from predators amid criminal surge. The Department of Justice program directed at digital crimes against children has had its funding levels funding cuts levels significantly below that of the Trump administration. The Internet Crimes Against Children, ACIC Task Force, is a national network of 61 coordinated task forces made up of over 5,400 federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies dedicated to investigating, prosecuting, and developing effective responses to Internet crimes against children, according to the program's website. Funding for the DOJ program has been reduced by resident Joe Biden's administration. Of course, we've covered in previous you know, in previous videos that Joe Biden's government is actively support involved in child trafficking. You know, Tim Ballard covered this, you know, in the, in the lead up to the um, Sound of Freedom movie launch. Um, what's her name? Miss Rodas or whatever, who used, to, who used to work for Department of Homeland Security. She's a whistleblower. She has said, oh, yeah. There is so much child trafficking going on, and the Biden administration is a willing participant. They are just looking the other way if they're not surreptitiously helping so-called sponsors take in take in children. So we don't have to pretend. We don't have to give Joe Biden the benefit of the, of the doubt. We don't have to give his handlers the benefit of the doubt. These are criminals. Biden's thinking of sending migrants to smaller city, a smaller city with a critical security operation to save a sanctuary city. So rather than let you know migrants fill up a uh, an openly stated sanctuary city, just gonna move them somewhere else. You don't think this is deliberate? You don't think this is sabotage? You don't think this is an act of war? Massachusetts thinks it's an act of war, even though they're a part of it. Massachusetts calls up National Guard to cope with migrants as protests rage. Massachusetts officials, who I doubt were really elected, overwhelmed by arriving migrants, have activated the National Guard as they scramble for more housing, while aid groups say they have been pushed to the limit and protests abound. Governor Maura Healey, issue really the governor, mobilized 250 members of the Massachusetts National Guard on Thursday to help transport the latest wave of, of asylum seekers to shelters across the state. But much like the crisis overtaking the Big Apple, Massachusetts has nowhere near enough housing or resources currently available to accommodate the influx. Yeah. They wanted the red state to deal with this. They wanted the border states like Texas and Arizona and, you know, debatably New Mexico and California. They wanted, and really, the Midwestern states, the southern states, Florida, they wanted the red states to 
be swamped by these invaders to help you know turn the um, national elections in the Democrats' favor. The fact that they're the fact that Republican governors are transporting these migrants, these invaders, to blue cities, just highlights the hypocrisy and the and the um, false pretense that all this is is going on here. So, and the fact they brought in the National Guard, that's a sign that these aren't just, you know, migrants looking for a better life in the land of the free. These are invaders who want to uh, upend the rule of law in this country. If they were legitimate refugees or immigrants, they would have gone through the portal, through the ports of entry, and been counted and been vetted by by the authorities. Simple as that. Here's another act of war. Black Lives Matter activists protest in Ohio after a pregnant black woman was shot dead after she tried to run over a cop. She tried to run over a cop. So, how dare a policeman protect himself and fight back? Ohio police released body camera, body camera footage Friday showing a police officer fairly shooting a pregnant black woman in her car. As Fox News reported, the Kia Young, a 21-year-old mother of two kids and pregnant with a third, went to a Kroger in the suburb of Blendon Township on August 24th, but she never returned after she was suspected of shoplifting bottles of alcohol. I hope she wasn't the one drinking it. Police approached Young outside the store, and while she was ultimately shot dead in the parking lot, her unborn daughter did not survive the local or did not survive the ordeal either. The Kia Young's family lashed out at police after the shooting and said it should never, ever, ever happen. Body cam footage shows a Kroger employee approaching the police officers and telling them that several people had just stolen merchandise and taken off. The Kroger employee pointed to, to Kia Young, who was sitting in a Lexus sedan with no license tags, parked in a handicapped spot right in front of the store. So I don't know if I'll read the whole thing, but um But BLM was ready to go just at, at the at the drop of a hat, you know. So, so it must be election season. You know, the fact that BLM is going now, and the fact that they're you know trying to bring back COVID lockdowns, it's 2020 all over again. I think they're jumping the gun. I think they're telegraphing their moves here. So, either that or they have some other. <clears throat> tricks of their sleeve, which which will they'll bring out in 2024, maybe during the height of campaign season. So <clears throat> we got to stay frosty. We got to um, communicate with each other, have our smartphones and Twitter and Truth Social going on at, at a moment's notice so we can be ready to um, coordinate and communicate with each other and call them out on their bullshit. <coughs> Excuse me. But I want to talk about Mitch McConnell. Yeah, I do. Mitch McConnell medically cleared to continue work after he freezes up for the second time, according to a doctor. So he did it again. Just kind of like totally clammed up and looked around eerily, his mouth. Hmm, like a I don't know. The fact that he's, you know, having these episodes, 
The fact that Senator Dianne Feinstein is 90 years old and gave her daughter the power of attorney, but, that, but Senator Feinstein is still acting in the Senate. The fact that Jill Biden has been diagnosed with COVID, even though she's been supposedly double boosted. A lot of these, you know, you know, oh yeah, Jimmy Carter, he's still in hospice. He's been in hospice since uh, February. I'm sort of wondering if he's already dead. I don't know. The fact that so many swamp creatures are having health problems, it's not just because they're old. I kind of wonder if they're trying to um, take the easy way out. You think someone has some dirt on them that's going to come out in 2024? You think maybe Donald Trump, during his um, trial over election fraud, which is really a trial against the deep state, do you think he's got some evidence against all of these, you know, kooks and decrepit losers, these supposed elected officials? We're, we're going to see here. So I just want to end, end that segment with that. So let's check chats here. Nothing so far. That's fine. I want to mention another another way you can support the program. I've got an affiliate link to a great cryptocurrency exchange called BidFi, B-Y-D-F-I.com. There are some great cryptocurrency exchanges. However, not all of them are available to um, investors in the U.S., not directly anyway. You need some sort of a way to um, access content in foreign countries. But BitFi is available to a U.S. residents, and one of the great things about BitFi is, wait a minute, do they have that feature anymore? I was going to mention their uh, spot, their copy trading, but you know BitFi still is a pretty decent exchange. Um, copy trading is a method where you can follow someone else's uh, trades if you don't really, you know, have confidence yourself. Um, I'm going to have to rethink this. I mean, BitFi is still a fun exchange. Like, I don't just use, I don't just follow copy traders. I follow, I follow signals from websites like TradingView. And there's like some really good tutorials on YouTube on how to, um, do trading yourself. Like you just need the right indicators and the right strategy and the right, you know, Conditions to uh, make your trades, so um, don't just follow just, don't just follow the uh, copy traders. But there's even a way to um, automate signals so that they uh, the signals on TradingView or other web or other websites they will transfer over to your um, exchange and trade for you. That's what I'm doing on uh, BitGet right now, which is another great website exchange. But um. We'll just move on. We're going to talk about the economy in this next in this next um, segment. But um, at the end of this next segment, I'll mention another cryptocurrency exchange that's very very user friendly, very very beginner friendly, and that's a lot of fun to use. So hang tight with that. Now, this is the economics portion of the program, and 
we really need to discuss how money is broken, how the financial system is totally out of whack. Wall Street Silver is sharing this video, the Great Depression versus the Silent Depression, comparing the costs of homes, cars, rents, and income between 1930 and 2023. These numbers are incredible. So let's kind of turn the sound on and start this. in a silent depression when you compare the great depression to today this is going to absolutely blow your mind in 1930 during the great depression the average home in america was thirty nine hundred dollars the average car was six hundred dollars and the average monthly rent was 18 bucks or 216 dollars a year and the average salary was thirteen hundred dollars for the year Fast forward to today, it is $436,000 for the average home, forty-eight dollars for the average car, and the average rent is $2,000 a month or $24,000 a year, and, that is, and we have a $56,000 income for the average American right now. So if you look back to the Great Depression, the house was only three times the average salary. Now it is eight times the average salary. The car was 46% of the salary, the car today is 85% of the salary. And here's the craziest part. The rent was 16% of the average salary. It is now 42% of the average salary. This can't go on. There's a, there's a, we have a money problem. You know, the older generation, the boomers, I don't understand why they're so insular and why they're so myopic to the struggles of the younger generation. Things are not the same as they were when the boomers were, were making their income in the 80s and 90s and 70s. You know, they complain about interest rate. They say, oh, the interest rates were so much higher. But inflation hadn't you know, taken off as badly back then. Um, especially since 1971 when the, when the dollar was taken off the gold standard, was the, was the, was the peg from gold. It, you know, it took some time for, you know, inflation to really take off but it really took off in the 2000s especially in 2008 you know you maybe you've seen that graph where workers productivity went up like this but workers income was relatively flat that divergence happened in 1971 after, you know, the uh, disconnection from gold. Workers' wages have not kept up with inflation or really the cost of goods or or um, or housing or vehicles, you know. It's not worth it really to um, have a job anymore. You have to have investments. You have to have assets. You have to have assets that either grow or maintain the value over time in the face of inflation. A lot of us learned that in 2020 when, you know, Bitcoin and stocks and gold shot up crazy with all the money printing. I mean, there was a crash during the start of it, but a lot of us made a lot of money because we had things like Bitcoin and gold and stocks and real estate and artwork and baseball cards and Pokemon cards. I'm serious. That was a real big awakening for a lot of us. And so we got to talk about some of the um, asset classes that are available today. But first, we got to talk about jobs and why they're just not cutting it for people. Binomics is working, 
Joe Biden brags about unemployment being below 14% after a disastrous August jobs report. Joe Biden on Friday delivered remarks on the abysmal August jobs report from the Rose Garden. Unemployment unexpectedly, unexpectedly rose 3.8% in August. The real unemployment rate is much higher. People either have stopped, either can't find jobs or they've stopped trying to find jobs. So that means the real unemployment rate is, is freighting. If you can't find a job, you got to find a hustle. Like, like I drive Uber. I have these podcasts. I freelance and make websites and, you know, test software, but I don't have a job job. I, I'm, I've embraced the gig economy. So a lot of us have to do that. A lot of us have four or five or even six jobs or hustles. So, and this is pretty uh, appalling. I'm not going to read the whole, whole, whole article because it's a paywall. I'm just going to read the um, headline on Zero Hedge here. The real shocker in Friday's jobs report, 1.2 million native-born workers lost their jobs and were replaced by 668,000 foreign-born workers. So Americans, American citizens, are losing their jobs and they're being replaced by foreigners. You know, yeah, immigration, but how many of those how many of those how many of those immigrants are undocumented? You couldn't, you know, it's almost as if this economic disaster was intentional. Another article from Zero Hedge: Biden is not worried about major UAW strike on automakers. Resident Biden on Monday expressed that he wasn't too concerned about the growing possibility of a labor strike from the United Auto Workers, 146,000 members. They are seeking a 46% salary hike, a 32-hour work week, and restoration of traditional pensions from Detroit's big three legacy automakers. Well, who the hell thinks pensions are, are, are a thing anymore? Unless you're a government worker. My mom's a retired school teacher. She's got pensions. She's always pushing me to get a government job, but... Like, hell, I'm going to be part of the system. General Motors, Ford Motor Company, and Solantis Envy, which is the maker of Jeep and Chrysler brands, and the UAW have until September 14th to finalize a new four-year contract for union workers. Even UAW's own president calls demands, called the demands audacious in a Facebook Live video last week. Record profits mean record contracts. While big execs have used the same those extreme profits to pump up their pay, our numbers have fallen further and further behind. The rich are getting richer, while the rest of us are getting left behind. UAW President Sean Fain said, well, I don't know about record profits, but um, executives don't necessarily get their um, compensation from profits or salary. They get the compensation from company stock and stock options. Their, their goal is to pump up the, stock, the Wall Street price of their stocks, so... That's why they're so out of touch with the uh, with the workers because they may have six or seven figure salaries, but that's that's a pittance compared to their compensation stocks. So that's if you really want to tackle income inequality, let workers own company stock or let them have some other form of company equity. The Detroit News described the demands as the largest pay increase in recent memory. And 
what really is driving these demands is um, the sweetheart deal the Teamsters got their workers at UPS appears to have emboldened other unions to do the same. Strike. But as Bank of America CIO Michael Hartnett recently told clients uh, in the weekly flow show, inflation appears to be sickier than previously believed because of the growing influence of labor unions. So, well, labor unions sound good, collective bargaining sounds good, but how many horror stories have you heard about the mafia? How many horror stories have you heard about Jimmy Hoffa or union dues going to uh, political candidates that the, that the workers don't even give a crap about? You know, I think I heard Trump say that union leaders are supporting Biden, but union workers are supporting Trump. They're on, they're on Trump's side. So, yeah, there's got to be a better way. A better way might be, you know, employee ownership of a company. That would be that would be a real collective bargaining power because they would have a say in how the company's run. They'd have ownership. <coughs> Excuse me, I need a sip of water. Before I start sounding like RFK Jr. Now, I need to talk about this because I've been sitting on the story for almost 10 days. Actually, more than more than that. And it's really good. It's another article that's on Zero Hedge, originally from Of Two Minds blog by the author Charles Hugh Smith. The problem isn't a housing shortage. It's a concentration of ownership by the wealthy. You know, it's not just, you know, inflation and decoupling from gold that's causing prices to rise. It's causing costs to rise for the average American. It's a concentration of wealth and a gobbling up of it's really a centralization of ownership among a powerful elite. This concentration of housing ownership by the wealthy is a direct result of Federal Reserve and federal policies that benefit the wealthy. We're told that sky-high rent and home prices are the result of a shortage of housing. The solution is simple. Build more housing. This sounds obvious, but the reality is the problem isn't a shortage. It's a concentration of housing ownership in the top 10%, the same 10% who own the majority of other income-producing assets like stocks and bonds. The problem is the wealthy are hoarding housing as just another income-producing asset to accumulate because the central bank economic financial policies of the past few decades have favored capital over labor and the already wealthy who bought assets when they were cheap. Exactly. Exactly what I said earlier. It doesn't pay to work anymore. It pays to invest. So the trillions of dollars in new credit have been asymmetrically distributed. Since most creditworthy, okay, the most creditworthy with the highest income and collateral are the top 10%, so they scooped up most of the credit. Since real estate is so heavily dependent on credit, 20% down and 80% borrowed, not like stocks and bonds, this massive influx of low-cost credit led to the top 10% accumulating investment housing. In other words, the asymmetric distribution of credit concentrated ownership of housing in the hands of the few at the expense of the many. The wealthy entered bidding wars for surplus housing, while other wealthy, a bidding process based with other wealthy, a bidding process based largely on who had access to the lowest cost credit and whose existing health had ballooned up more in the central bank generated everything bubble. Those without existing credit bubble collateral or the free money issued by the bank of mom and dad couldn't compete. Given these asymmetries of credit, collateral, and family wealth, 
There was no way the wealthy wouldn't end up with a lion's share of surplus housing, just as they ended up owning the lion's share of stocks, bonds, precious metals, cryptocurrencies, artwork, etc. There are many there are many sources of housing hoarding. One is inheritance. The parents move into assisted living or pass on, and since the family was wealthy enough to get, get the kids buy their own homes at an early age, the parents' home is surplus capital that stays in the family. Another is corporate buying of rental properties. Steadily rising rents, see the last chart below, make rental housing a low-risk, attractive investment, so corporations tap their credit lines or the corporate bond market to snap up tens of thousands of rental homes. Since corporate costs of capital and management are lower than those available those available to household, corporations can afford, can afford to be less price sensitive. Individual buyers can be outbid by corporations. Robert Kennedy Jr. was just talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago. And he said, you know, the plight of so many Americans is um, they get so close to um, making an offer on a house. And then at the last minute, some corporation that's probably funded by BlackRock swoops in and buys up the house. Pulls the rug out from under them. A third source is the recent investment craze for short-term vacation rentals. As the wealthy heard stories of other wealthy people getting $10,000 a month from homes that fetched $2,000 a month as long-term rentals. This differential unleashed a tsunami of home purchases by the wealthy seeking to maximize their gains on cheap credit and excess capital, stagnating in their accounts, earning near zero interest. Think Airbnb. In classic fashion, this land rush frenzy Captured the outsized profits of uh, STR, SCVR, gobbled up all the housing inventory, created, creating credit induced scarcity. Also, in classic fashion, wealthy bidders began basing the bids not on $3,000 a month via long term rental income, but $12,000 a month in peak season income and from price intensive tourists via STVR. The deluge of revenge spending unleashed after the pandemic lockdowns ended supercharged. Ended supercharged the greed and acquisition of housing from short-term vacation rentals. Twelve thousand a month was now chump change. The price jumped to fifteen thousand dollars a month, and soon enough, this was a bargain. They needed another boost higher. Those desperate for vacations, regardless of cost, were the perfect customer base for rampant price gouging, aka maximizing return on investment. The true scale of this land rush by the wealthy into STVRs is difficult to assess for various reasons. Get prefer to get preferential mortgage and property tax rates, some new owners may have claimed residency or listed the new purchase as a second home. The only way to accurately assess the true value is to total uh, SCVR license in locales that require SCVR owners to obtain permits and pay annual registration fees. Consider the facts displayed below. The housing bubble arose as a direct result of the flood of stimulus issued by the Federal Reserve and post and Treasury post-pandemic. So at the uh, left hand of the graph, if you're listening on the podcast, it looks like uh, the number of months, this solid black line is the um, rise, I think, from 2012 to 2022. Solid blue line is the is the period from 1991 to 2006. And the dashed, the dashed blue line is... Um, from 06 to 2012. And the dashed black line is from 2022 to 2023 fall. So um so the 2020 the 2012 to 2022 rise 
what it's like it's like a hockey stick and the uh then you went to 06 rice is very much more gradual so it just you know illustrates the spike in prices over however many however many months note the massive spike in investment purchases that resulted here's another graph for those of you on the podcast it's a chart the about uh, the bottom line is uh years uh or quarters 2000 quarter one to uh 2002 quarter one to 2004 every other year they're quarter one and the uh y-axis is i believe um house prices and the red line peaks at 2005 around $55,000 dive bombs around 2008-2009 kind of rises up again through the 2010s crashed down again in 2020 that was been the COVID crash and Spikes again in 2021 and crashes again in 2023. So actually, the red line is not prices; it's um investor home purchases year over year. So home prices rose; they peaked in 20, 2005, crashed in 2008, rose again, and really, really peaked in 2021. That's when all those that's when everyone was moving out of the, bl- the blue states into the red states because of the different reactions to COVID, and they've crashed again to um, pre-pandemic levels this year. The third chart shows that U.S. population rose by 4 million in uh, between 2019 and 2023, while housing expanded by 5 million units. Uh, okay, where's the scarcity when housing per capita per person is at record highs? Because it's concentrated in the hands of the, of the wealthy. The fourth chart shows the prime home buying cohort, ages 25 through 54, has flatlined since 2008, along with the number of employed and thus able to obtain and pay a mortgage. Are they really able to obtain pay a mortgage? The more I think about it, I bought my current condo, my townhouse, right in, I think it was like, I made, I, made, I signed the agreement in August of 2008. I moved in in 2009. I was so lucky to get in when I did and secure my interest rate. Jesus. What skyrocketed was the number of employed home buyers. What skyrocketed was credit and central bank government stimulus. The Fed balance sheet and holdings of mortgage backed securities skyrocketed, the fifth chart, directly using housing via lower mortgage rates and federal deficit spending. So. I'm going to skip to the end of this here. The wealthy are hoarding housing because the system has incentivized dumping excess capital and credit into housing. This concentration of housing ownership in the wealthy is the direct result of Federal Reserve and federal policies that benefit the wealthy. Yeah, if you have good credit, you can you can you can buy a house, you can get a mortgage. If you have social credit or a kind of a ho normal job, um, you gotta do things the hard way. Maui residents face evictions from landlords. Question, t- question 
timing of governor's emergency housing proclamation ahead of fires. Ahead of fires. This is from August 29th. This is um from the Gateway Pundit again. Um, I just kind of I just kind of want to tie that to the uh, whole housing crisis article we read we read before this. There seems to be you know, it's not just you know the wealthy gobbling up the real the uh, the real estate. It's um. If you have, if you're a conspiracy theory minded, you gotta wonder whether this whole thing is another real estate grab by the elites like Oprah and The Rock and Bill Gates and such. So, yeah. <coughs> Speaking of gobbling up assets, we're moving into the Bitcoin section and crypto. BlackRock has invested in four of the five largest Bitcoin miners. So Bitcoin is generated by computers that run, you know, algorithms and, you know, solve problems in order to generate Bitcoin. There's only ever going to be 20 million, you know, Bitcoin in existence. The uh, generation is going to be done after you and I are dead and gone, probably in the next century, but... (laughs) Until then, you need some powerful computers to uh, to mine Bitcoin, and then it runs, and then the software that Bitcoin operates on is found on devices all around the world. That's why Bitcoin is decentralized. It looks like back BlackRock is trying to um, centralize Bitcoin, take ownership of the Bitcoin miners. Asset management behemoth BlackRock has reportedly already invested in four of the five largest Bitcoin miners by market capitalization. Indeed, the traditional finance entity that shocked the industry by submitting the application for a spot Bitcoin ETF is noted as the second largest investor of the four Bitcoin miners. Additionally, data from coin market ca- companies' market cap has shown that the five largest Bitcoin miners maintain a market cap of $5.4 billion. However, those companies have also noted significant losses over the last 30 days. This article was written uh, August 28th, so this is a few days ago. Subsequently, BlackRock is seemingly buying the dips of some of the largest companies that the industry has to offer. So, there's that. Something else to keep in mind. This is from BitcoinEthereumNews.com. $114,500,000,000,000 in U.S. Treasuries dumped by China and the new BRICS member, Saudi Arabia. So, you know that um, the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency. Well, certain countries in the uh, BRICS alliance, they're trying to do away with that. And they're selling oil and money other than U.S. dollars, like Chinese yuan and Indian rupee and Russian rubles. And they're getting rid of their, and it looks like they're getting rid of their dollars. BRICS members China and Saudi Arabia are unloading hundreds of billions of dollars worth of U.S. treasuries. New members, new numbers from the Treasury Department show that China trimmed its U.S. Treasury holdings from 938.8 billion in June 2022 to 835.4 billion in June 2023, a decrease of about 103.4 billion in just 12 months. Oh, so it's not not trillions, it's billions. Excuse me, 114 billion dollars. $114 billion, $500 million. Okay. 
Still, that's quite a bit. Even though China has been dumping U.S. treasuries over the past year, the country is still one of the largest creditors of the United States, second to Japan's holdings of $1.105 trillion. As for Newbrook's member of Saudi Arabia, the Middle Eastern country reduced its holding of U.S. debt by $11.1 billion over the same period from $109.2 billion to $108.1 billion. So the decline in U.S. bond holdings of the two BRICS nations are a fresh sign of opposition to the U.S. dollar's hegemony. It also means that more U.S. dollars are going to be in circulation again. They're not going to be held in someone else's, you know, some other country's, you know, balances. It's going to be, they're going to be out loose in the world. And a lot of them are going to come back to the USA. And that's going to increase inflation here at home. So it's going to be very important for us to, um, if you have U.S. dollars, it's going to be very important to move them into some investment assets like Bitcoin or Ethereum or gold or silver or stocks. So, and that's what the people of Turkey are doing. This is from Decrypt.com. Half the people in Turkey now own crypto. KuCoin says crypto adoption is high in Turkey, as observed in other nations struggling with rapid inflation. So... We're we're we really are witnessing the end of the of the previous of the old paradigm. We had we went from gold and silver to um gold and silver backed cash to um the uh, Federal Reserve Central Banks in 1913 to the uh, Bretton Woods Agreement in 1944 when the U.S. dollar became the world's reserve currency because we had the most gold in our vaults vaults that. Changed again in 1970 when we took the dollar off the gold standard and we just went to fiat currency and changed again in 2008 when really the central banks took control of the whole economy and crashed the economy and their world economy and their bit to get Obama in office. So we're seeing the end of one phase and we're going into another one. So the, the question is, will we go into the uh, reset plan? And be using central bank digital currencies that can be con- that can be controlled by banks and governments, and they can be turned off if powers be don't like your political leaning political opinions or your um, spending habits. Or are we going to use a people's form of money like Bitcoin? Or, or are we going to back going back to gold and silver or all all three of those things that are decentralized? that are, you know, controlled by we the people. That's the fork in the road. Which way, which way, modern man? So, we really are seeing the end of uh, fiat currency, though. So, if you have fiat currency in the bank, this is not financial advice. This is just what I'm doing. I'm moving, I, I'm put. I'm keeping as little money as I can in my bank account, and I've got it in assets like, uh, mostly Bitcoin, but um, I also own a little bit of gold and silver. So I've got that in my retirement fund and I've got that in my exchange and in my wallets, which I'll mention a little bit later at the end of the segment, but just waiting for this page to load. This is an article from Cointelegraph. Binance CEO CZ forecasts decentralized finance outgrowing centralized finance in the next bull run. So Chang Peng Zhao, or CZ for short, 
He's the CEO of Binance, which is the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange. He declares that the cryptocurrency industry will only become better as it becomes more decentralized. So, less power concentrated in a, power, in a powerful elite, like the Federal Reserve Board, or the bankers, or the president, or some CEO. More power spread out among the people. Finance CEO Changpeng CZ Zhao predicts that decentralized finance has potential to surpass centralized finance in the next bull run. So we've been coming a downward slide since um, I think December of 2020, like winter of 2021. It's been a, it's been a bear run. During the next bull run, when it comes to a crypto, he thinks we're going to see we're, we're going to see the rise of decentralized finance. All these uh, decentralized exchanges that are spread out, that are owned by multiple, you know, stakeholders. So we have we have a very we have a very rare opportunity to accumulate cryptocurrency until the next bull run. So things are kind of like sliding, stepping, stepping downward for now, but the next bull run is gonna be gonna be nuts. So I'm Dollar cost averaging. I'm adding a little more Bitcoin and gold every week or so in my um, retirement account. And I'll talk, talk about the retirement account a little bit later, but um, think about that. Also, we're going to end the segment on gold. Why Nick Colas is bullish on gold. The former Credit Suisse analyst and SAC Capital Portfolio Manager, who founded Data Trek Research in 2017, has stated his offerings. Started offering his thoughts via YouTube, where he's opined on topics such as his three cardinal rules of investing and how to use the VIX to trade smarter and the best way to value Tesla. On Tuesday, Colas discussed why he thinks gold where he thinks gold is headed. In 1960, Colas' family came to America just after the Cuban Revolution with $200 in a suitcase. After scrambling to land on their feet, his father began buying gold coins on business trips to Europe when it was $35 to $37 per ounce. He viewed gold as a long-term store of value, Colas said of his father. Then, in 1971, President Nixon took the U.S. dollar off the gold standard, and prices began to rise. In the late 70s, inflation really took over as big investment as a big investment theme and the price of gold was going up even further, he continues. In 1974, gold soared from its $35 valuation in the 60s, the $600 announced by 1980. While the S&P has grown roughly 13% per year over the past decade, when one looks outside U.S. borders, gold's 5% annual compounded growth begins to look quite impressive. Coles notes that the um, MSCI All-Country X-U.S. Index and Chinese equities have shown a mere 5% and 3% growth, respectively. So if your portfolio isn't U.S.-centric, gold not just holds its own, but shines. But here is the big deal here. And I want to, this is the reason I wanted to uh, share this article. Central banks are, are buying up gold. According to the World Gold Council, 25% of the demand for gold has come from central banks, primarily China, Russia, Turkey, and India. Why? For starters, gold is priced in dollars, which is still the world's reserve currency. Owning gold is like owning the dollar, plus the volatility of the underlying assets, explains, explains Colas. Gold also offers central banks immunity from sanctions and confiscation 
during geopolitical upheavals. With increasing tensions involving countries like Russia and China, central banks are moving towards assets that aren't just backed by the dollar, but also impervious to sanctions and confiscations, such as what we saw with Russian assets following the invasion of Ukraine. You probably heard about us turning off the SWIFT, you know, shutting off Russia from the SWIFT system, the SWIFT network of payments. Well, Russia was prepared for that. They have been accumulating gold up until the um, run-up of the, of the invasion. They have a lot of rich oil fields. They've got a lot of agriculture. They didn't just, you know, did the, they didn't just attack Ukraine willy-nilly. They were they were ready. So, and so much, you know, of the sanctions by the Western neoliberal powers countries against Russia backfired spectacularly. So, the fact that central banks are buying up gold and trying to preserve their their um, purchasing power with it should be a sign that we should be we should be buying up not as gold but any asset not financial advice you know take that you know I, I sort of take that back but the smart thing to do is not trust fiat currency and don't trust your job so I'm gonna end that segment and I want to mention another way you can support the program and support yourself I've got an affiliate link to a great fun beginner friendly cryptocurrency exchange called Uphold. Uphold is one of my favorite, you know, ways to invest, not just in Bitcoin or Ethereum or crypto, but also in precious metals, national currencies, stable coins, and I think um, it also has a few uh, stocks and indices. I need to log in to really make sure, but I'm mostly lower cost average, um, Bitcoin, gold, and silver, and using Uphold, and whenever I get paid from several any of, of my multiple hustles, I put I put a little bit in those assets, and that's very you know not necessarily all of your money, but you know keep keep some in reserve, keep some, and something that's going to be around after this whole you know reset awakening situation is over and we have a new economy. I mean, fiat currency is on its way out. Cash is trash. But um, if you have something outside the banking system, then you can use that. You can build a parallel economy and operate with, you know, your, um, your friends and fellow entrepreneurs and survive this, these crazy economic times. So let's check chats here. I don't see anything on Rumble. And nothing else. See, we're gonna keep going here. Now we come to a topic that makes me so mad because I caved for the pressure, but I have faith that. My DNA is back to normal because I have taken measures from very knowledgeable experts online. The CZX is a high return business strategy. This is from the Brownstone Institute by way of Zero Hedge again. Furistan, having done very well economically and provided citizens a long lifespan, those the people were still occasionally dying in road accidents. Furistanis were wealthy and really liked the freedom to travel. While road deaths were uncommon, any unnecessary death surely seemed worth avoiding. 
the road building industry, working closely with government, came up with the idea of building six-lane highways between cities. Soon the big cities were all connected, and experts from the University of Transport proved that the new highways had a 7% lower accident rate than normal roads. University modelers predicted that if six-lane highways were built between every town in Firistan, they could save thousands of lives. Experts predicted that they would ha- save even more lives than were actually dying on the existing roads. And I don't know if I want to read this whole thing, but... um. The country followed the experts. They were, after all, renowned for building roads and invested in six-lane highways everywhere. While the country exhausted itself and most people cannot afford to drive their cars anymore, they were really they were rightfully grateful that the road builders were saving them. The near-empty roads were now almost completely accident-free, proving the experts right. Eventually, the road building industry faced a dilemma. They were running out of towns to which the roads could be built. This was not what their investors needed. Then the road regulator and the road builders met and identified an urgent need to build towns and roads that did not yet exist. Firisan had vast areas of empty desert that were completely open to town building. When such towns were eventually built, experts predicted an inevitable and devastating tsunami of road accidents. This would return Firisan to the total carnage, which they had so narrowly escaped years before. The new Town X roads, as they termed them, were brilliant examples of high-tech road construction, and everyone could see how important the work was to keep the public safe. In public health, we follow a similarly important business model. We call it Disease X. Understanding pandemic risk from infectious disease. Humans suffered for millennia from pandemics or plagues. These killed up to a third of some populations. While some ca- while causes in some cases remain unclear, such as the Athenian plague of 450, 430 BC, the major plagues since medieval times were mostly bacterial, particularly bubonic plague, cholera, and typhus. Bacterial pandemics ceased in the late 19th century Europe with improved sanitation and elsewhere after the addition of antibiotics. Most deaths from the pre-antibiotic Spanish flu outbreak in the early 20th century also are also thought to be untreated secondary bacterial pneumonia. Cholera remains an intermittent marker of extreme poverty and social disruption. While most deaths from malaria, tuberculosis, and HIV-AIDS are associated with, pover- are associated with poverty, which restricts access to effective treatment. When indigenous, indigenous populations, long separated from the bulk of humanity, encountered carriers of smallpox and measles, the effects were also devastating. Having no inherited immunity, whole populations were decimated, particularly in the Americas, Pacific Islands, and Australia. Yeah, one reason why native populations in North America were wrecked by smallpox was they didn't keep as many domesticated animals as the white European settlers, colonizers did. And the, you know, the Europeans had contact with domesticated animals and they had exposure to the um, diseases those animals carried. So they had, you know, inherited immunity. They kind of developed that over the generations. The natives of North America did not. So they were, they were flattened by smallpox. Now the world is connected and such mass, mass death events don't occur. Connectedness can be a strong defense against pandemics, contrary to what disease X proponents claims, though its role in supporting early age immunity and frequent boosting. These, reali- these realities reflect orthodox public health, but are poorly compatible with current business models. They are, therefore, increasingly ignored. A century of safety. The past hundred years have seen two significant natural influenza pandemic events. In 1957 through 1958 and 1968 through 69. 
and one major coronavirus outbreak, COVID-19, that appears to have arisen from gain-of-function research in a lab. The influenza outbreaks each kill less than currently die annually from tuberculosis, while the coronavirus outbreak was associated with mortality at average age above 75 years, with roughly 1.5 people per thousand dying globally. While the media fusses over about other outbreaks, they've actually been relatively small events. SARS-1 in 2003 killed about 800 people worldwide, or less than half the number of children that die every single day from malaria. MERS killed about 850 people, and the West African Ebola outbreak killed about 11,300. Context here is important. Tuberculosis kills over 1.5 million people every year, while malaria kills over half a million children. And over 600,000 people die of cancer each year in the United States alone. SARS-1, MERS, and Ebola may gain more media coverage than tuberculosis, but this is under... But this is unrelated to actual risk, so the last paragraph gives us some perspective. Why are we living longer? The reason behind increasing human lifespans is frequently forgotten or ignored. As medical students were once taught, the advancements came primarily through improved sanitation, better living conditions, better nutrition, and antibiotics. The same change is responsible for the reduction in pandemics. Vaccines came after most improvement had already occurred, with a few exceptions such as smallpox. While vaccines do remain an important addition, they are also of particular importance to pharmaceutical companies. They can be mandated. And together with the constant birth of children, this provides a continuing, predictable, and profitable market. This is not an anti-vaccine statement. This is just a statement of fact. Facts are what health policy should be based on. So we can be confident that, barring an intentional or accidental release of a pathogen engineered by humans, it is highly unlikely that a medieval-style outbreak will affect anyone currently living. While poverty will reduce life expectancy, it will remain relatively high in wealthier countries. However, we can also be very confident that those half a million young children will die of malaria next year, and that 1.5 million people, many of them children and young adults, will die of tuberculosis. Over 300,000 women in low-income countries will also die agonizing deaths from cervical cancer because they cannot access cheap screening. We know this because it happens every year. It is what international health, public health particularly the World Health Organization, was supposed to prioritize. The ability to monetize an illusion. The COVID-19 response demonstrated how the sponsors of international health, public health institutions have found a way to monetize public health. This business model pr involves promoting abnormal responses to relatively normal viruses. <coughs> it employs behavioral psychology and media campaign to instill inappropriate fear into the public been locking them down, prison, ter prison terminology before 2020. The public may then regain a degree of freedom, such as flying to visit a dying relative or work if they agree to take a vaccine, which in turn directly benefits the original sponsors of the scheme. The heavy public investment in COVID-19 mRNA vaccine development enable pharmaceutical companies and their investors to reap unprecedented returns. The major public-private partnership for vaccine development for pandemics, CEPI, inaugurated at the World Economic Forum in 2017, states that the threat of disease X infecting the human population and spreading quickly around the world is greater than ever before. Health practitioners are quite susceptible to this propaganda. They're only human. Many also seek income from investments and patents from technologies that may help lock others down or make vaccine production quicker and cheaper. Basing their salaries and careers on loyalty to this pandemic industry, 
They joined in vilifying and scapegoating those who speak against it. Shielded by, shielded by their sponsors' greater threat than ever before claims, they can blind themselves to the major causes of ill health and act as if only pandemic risk matters. Why not rely on existing threats? Despite current efforts with yet another variant, COVID-19 is losing its ability to scare. Sustained fear is necessary for politicians and penetrated governments, as Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum notes, to provide the support. This business paradigm requires a continuing target. The overall aim is for the public to think that only a corporate authoritarian, i.e. fascist, nanny state, can save them from a continuing threat. Major natural outbreaks being rare, and lab escapes also infrequent, disease X fills this need. It provides the material for the media and politicians to work with between variant and monkeypox events. Where to from here? For the public, Diversion of resources to fairyland diseases will increase mortality by diverting funding for real threats and productive areas of investment. Of course, if increasing lab leaks and engineered pathogens are expected from ongoing and future research, that would be different. But then this would have to be explained plainly and transparently, and prevention may be more effective than a very expensive cure. Disease X is a business strategy dependent on a series of fallacies dressed up as an altruistic concern for public wealth. For human welfare. Embraced by powerful people, the world they move in accepts amoral practice in public health as a legitimate path to their version of success. If our primary aim is to channel taxpayer funding to development of biotechnologies that the public can then be mandated to buy to their own detriment but a great benefit to developers, then disease X is the road forward. This market model ensures that a relative few can concentrate wealth gained from the many at virtually no risk to themselves. The public must decide whether they want to keep their part in this of this highly abusive bargain. So we will not comply. You will die before you inject me again. That's not a threat. That's a because you're the ones threatening me. So earlier this morning in the wee hours, I was listening to uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, who's been everywhere on alternative media, promoting the wellness company, which I'll plug shortly. But um, he he was being interviewed by someone, and they were talking about, you know, what can you do if you um, took the vaccine and you have regrets? He says, first he said, you know, don't take any more. The effect is cumulative, so don't take any more boosters. If you had, like, one or two shots, you'll probably be fine. He also said, and I might have misread this in the comment section, but only about 15% of people who took the vaccine, or the jab, I should say, are experiencing any real effects. Most of us might have, take, might have just had saline or some other version that's not that bad. So if you do have concerns over vaccine injury, or if you just have some general you know, health concerns like sleep, deprivation, or whatever. I've got a great resource for you at the end of the segment. So, um, FDA, CDC, hid data on spike in COVID cases among the vaccinated, according to documents. It's from the Epic Times, again, from Zero Hedge. COVID-19 cases among vaccinated seniors soared in 2021, according to newly disclosed data that was acquired by U.S. health agencies, but not presented to the public. So, your friends who said... 
it's not a vaccine. It's not a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It is actually caused by the vaccine. Those funds were right. So I don't know how we can reach those who uh, don't want to hear this. We probably cannot tell them directly them being members of my family or <clears throat> the members of your family or your employers who want to uh, throw their way around. You're gonna have to do the you're gonna have to do this surreptitiously. Maybe um mention ways to prevent COVID besides the vaccine that are cheaper. Who knows? Here's something else that might make you pissed off and ready to uh, spread memes online. Pharmacists continuing to refuse ivermectin prescriptions, raising ethical concerns. Did you hear about the court case in the last couple of weeks where ivermectin was was said, oh, you can't doctors can use that to um treat COVID. The uh, prohibition was lifted by the courts. And the scientists admitted, yes, ivermectin does work. I wanted to. I better not say it. But the continued refusal of pharmacists nationwide to fill prescriptions for controversial COVID medications has raised questions over medical autonomy, autonomy and who ultimately has control over patient care, according to a prominent doctor. So the only reason ivermectin is controversial is because the media says it was. It worked for Joe Rogan. It worked for so many people under the care of Dr. Zelenko. It's like, it works. And it's cheap. And it's affordable. And that's why the powers that be don't like it. So, that's that. I mean, pharmacists can't make as much money, you know, selling it. So, That's probably the reason. We're going to have to upend uh, medical industry, and we'll probably need to build like a parallel, a parallel medical field, just like we're building a parallel economy. You know, get get your um web designers together, get your entrepreneurs together, get your um get everyone out the public square and whatever, and start going around the establishment. Florida doctor reinstated after losing board certification for criticizing COVID-19 vaccines. So here's some good news. A Florida physician known for being outspoken about COVID-related topics has regained his board certification that was stripped because he publicly criticized COVID vaccines. Now, at this point in time, I care less about your title and your certification than I do about your information and your evidence. I think I still have t-shirts on my website that say, I don't care about your credentials. I care about your evidence. I got t-shirts and mugs that say that in caps. So go to my merch store and spread the word. Here's some more good news. People are fighting back when they're not complying. Screw your face doctors. Screw your face diapers. Mask mandate return sparks. We will not comply trend. A number of people on social media have declared that we will not comply with uh, COVID-19 mask mandates as some hospitals and businesses have moved to reinstate such rules in recent weeks. Notably, former President Donald Trump released a video addressing every COVID tyrant who wants to take away our freedom. Here are these words. We will not comply, so don't even think about it, he said. We will not shut down our schools. We will not accept your lockdowns. 
We will not abide by your mask mandates, and we will not tolerate your vaccine mandates. Yeah. Amen, Mr. President. We will not comply, wrote Arizona Republican uh, Governor candidate Kara Lake on X, or Twitter. While the rightful president had no authority to issue lockdowns, officials under his administration came up with national guidelines in early 2020, when the virus first arrived on U.S. soil, in a bid to deal with COVID-19. Later in 2020, President Trump declared that he opposes lockdowns and mandates, saying that lockdowns are killing countries all over the world and calling on Democrat governors to open up their states. Yeah, it was the governor's fault. One of the many, many lessons of 2020 was your, your state governor is just as important as the president. Where you live in the U.S. is very important. You know, if you're... If, you're, if the cops in your city are dipshits, well, thankfully, the cops are probably better in a different city so or town. So you don't have to say where you are unless you're bound by your job or economically captive. But if your governor's piece of shit, well, are they really the governor? We discussed this earlier. But that's the beauty of the federal system of government. No one place... No one place is really, you know, it, it really is decentralized, just like Bitcoin is. So there you go. <coughs> and in international news, Dutch Farmer Party picks anti-vax past crusader as prime minister candidates. So maybe you heard about the um, Dutch farmer protests. Uh, the government there is trying to uh, crack down on farmers. I can't remember exactly what they're trying to do. I know in I know in Ireland they're trying to kill off a lot of livestock. I think in the Netherlands they're trying to confiscate farmers' land and farms, and the farmers aren't having it. They're protesting heavily, and they've nominated an anti-vax crusade, an anti-vax candidate as their uh, party's nominee. Pro-farmer populist party that upended the political establishment in the Netherlands has selected a former government minister who was sacked for her opposition to coronavirus passports as their candidate for prime minister in the race to replace globalist prime minister Mark Rutte. Caroline Vanderplas, the charismatic leader of the farmer citizen movement, uh, said this week that she will not enter the fray to become Dutch, Dutch prime minister, announcing that former Sec state secretary for economic affairs, Mona Kajer, will represent the track of protest party in the November election of the House of Representatives. So this might be a case of great leaders are not secretness. It is thrust upon them. So we'll have to see if she um, keeps up her, um, if she continues to step aside or if Destiny will um, say, hey, you're our gal. So um, I'm all for this, Dutch, this, this, this farmer party. This is uh, making me really excited. They're having, they're having a lot of success in their countries turning back the corruption. So, good on them. And here's some other news to uh, make you happy. Dr. Fauci gets roasted after being confronted with damning study on masks. What's this? Anwin Anchor Russell Boone dead at 47 after losing battle cancer. I don't know who that is. But, um, that's a Breaking news on NewYorkPost.com. Social media erupted after Dr. Anthony Fauci was confronted by a CNN host with a study showing face masks made little to no difference in the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's just like the meme says. Captain America says, 
oh, don't worry about kids peeing in the pool. And the hider agent says, how does that work? And Cap, Cap says, like a mask. And then, of course, the hider agent started beating him, beating him up in the, in the elevator. But it's funny when you see it. I can't tell if it was good. Like I said, I'm a lot more, I'm a lot funnier on social media than I am speaking out loud into a microphone. But um, <coughs> people are getting wise not just to um, COVID fears and pandemic fears. We're getting wise to the ways abusers manipulate us and try to take advantage of us. A lot of us dodged a bullet with the vac- with the COVID jab. I mean, I, I'm not one of those you know fear mongers. I, I'm, I'm a solutions-minded person, although I do get out of myself quite a bit when I'm not on camera. But we are learning. We either win or we learn. We don't lose. And we are finding ways to overcome this evil. You know, one of my favorite stories from the Bible was when um, Moses and the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they were um, attacked by venomous snakes. A lot of them were poisoned and they were killed. God didn't stop snakes. He told Moses to make a sculpture, a bronze sculpture of a serpent, and hoist on a pole in the middle of camp. Anyone who um, looked at it would be cured of the venom. God doesn't stop bad things from happening, but he gives us the uh, means to overcome those bad things. So if you got if you got deceived and rickrolled into um, taking the vaccine, don't give up hope. There's a way to deal with that. And one of those ways is a supplement from a sponsor of this program, the Wellness Company. Now, Dr. Peter Mercolo, he's a member of this group, and they got so many supplements here. If you click on the link and use um, promo code Nate Houseman, all one word, you can save 10% on a lot of these um, supplements and products. Not necessarily uh, virtual care, but... um. Wellness Company does offer the chance to um, have an online doctor's visit. So that's not covered under the um, affiliate link, but that's an option for this company. So this is one of those uh, parallel structures that I've, been talk- that I've been talking about. But there's so many cool supplements here for your immune system, for daily essentials, for kids, to help your brain, to help your... Uh, Digestion and metabolism help you sleep better. And if you're concerned about long COVID relief or vaccine injury, the wellness company has solutions for that. So I'm very excited and happy to be a part, to be a referral partner for this group. And click on the link, you know, in the description. Use promo code Nate Houseman, all one word, to save 10% on any of the uh, products in the shop. And if you do have concerns over the jab, you know, talk to one of the experts, get one of their um, spike support formulas. I've got some on my kitchen counter. It goes down easy. It's just, you know, it's it's just a natural supplement that's very common in Japan. It's very, you know, it's easy to take. And if not for you, then members of your family who might have concerns, you know, don't tell them necessarily that the jab is going to get them. Offer them, you know, some of the other supplements and tell them, hey, this is an option too. So I'm very, I'm very excited to 
support this support this company and have them support this program. So let's check chats here. About halfway through. All right. Now we discuss big tech and internet privacy. Come on, come on, load up the page. This is an article from Reclaim the Net. U.S. government agency invites organizations to help it accelerate adoption of digital ID. So you've heard about, maybe you've heard about digital IDs and the plans by the WBF to uh, tie either to your vaccine status or your uh, carbon footprint or your uh, digital currency. There appears to be a real sense of urgency among various governments and international organizations and groups, not only to implement, but to speed up as much as, po much as possible adoption of digital IDs. One of these entities is the U.S. government. With the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST for short, now inviting anyone with expertise and products to join the push for speedy de deployment of digital IDs on mobile devices. Uh, <clears throat> it may or may not appease the many critics of digital IDs to learn that NIST is promising this infrastructure will be privacy-focused and secure, not to mention equitable and easy to not only adopt but also use. In other words, this government's agency is, on the one hand, offering platitudes about privacy and security to cover the issue, of the key criticism around the very concepts of the implementations of digital IDs. And on the other, NISD is betting on convenience when it speaks of ease of adoption and the use as a way to lure in as many people as, as fast as possible. That's how uh, Facebook grew so fast and was so successful because it was so convenient and easy to use relative, you know, relatively at the time. But um, people like convenience. I won't lie. You know, if it's something that's easy to use, like uphold, people go to it. But you gotta be careful, and you gotta be aware. So get onto True Social, get onto Alt Tech, get onto Gab, get onto Minds, get onto Rumble and Odyssey, and spread the word and tell people, hey, keep your head on a swivel. Now here's an article from the Conservative Treehouse, which is a great blog, maybe a little doom and gloom, but they. They have the author has a lot of good information. I think I'm going to read this whole article. Yeah, it's not that long, but it's pretty good. U.S. Special Operations Command, or SOCOM for short, will deploy will deploy Argus AI program to scour social media for disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. National Security Authority to protect U.S. internet from pain points. And here we go, says the author, codenamed Sundance. If you have not read the background, go deep, you will not have the appropriate context to absorb the latest revelation about how the Department of Defense will not conduct online monitoring operations using enhanced AI to protect the U.S. Internet from quote-unquote disinformation under the auspices of national security. And yeah, this blog is always going on about Jack's Coffee Shop, which is Twitter, which is um, which they which they posit is really a function or arm of intelligence agencies. Big tech is so expensive to run that it really cannot 
operate at profit. It operates at a loss. And the only way they can keep, they can really, you know, keep going is that they have funding from the government. So that really is a clue to um, what social media's true purpose is, at least the big tech, the traditional big tech, the original Twitter, the original Facebook, YouTube, what have you. So all tech is better because hopefully it's, um, it operates under different uh, rubrics. So true social, Gab, Minds, Odyssey. Odyssey is really good because it's really just a protocol on your computer. It doesn't really um, have any like big database. It's these. It's a, it's a blockchain type app. So consider that. Who had predicted that the U.S. internet operations would suddenly have a totally new set of enhanced AI guardians at the gateways? Read carefully. Eyes wide open. And the next few paragraphs are quote. U.S. Special Operations Command, or U.S. SOCOM has contracted New York-based Accrete AI to deploy software that detects real-time misinformation threats on social media. The company's Argus Anomaly Protection AI software analyzes social media data, accurately capturing emerging narratives and generating intelligence reports for military forces to speedily neutralize disinformation threats. Synthetic media, including AI-generated viral narratives, deepfakes, and other harmful social media-based applications of AI, Pose a serious threat to U.S. national security and civil society, a Creed founder and CEO, Prashant Bouyan, said. Social media is widely recognized as an unregulated environment where adversaries routinely exploit reasoning vulnerabilities and manipulate behavior through the intentional spread of disinformation. U.S. SOCOM is at the tip of the spear in recognizing the critical need to identify and analytically predict social media narratives at the embryonic stage before those narratives evolve and gain traction. Creed is proud to support U.S. SOCOM's mission. But wait, it gets worse. Private sector version. The company also revealed that it will launch an enterprise version of Argus Social for disinformation detection later this year. The AI, so- the AI software will provide protection for urgent customer pain points against AI-generated synthetic media, such as viral disinformation and deepfakes. Providing this protection requires AI that can automatically learn what is most important to an enterprise and predict the likely social media narratives that will emerge before they influence behavior. Um, Take a deep breath, let me explain, says the author. The goal is for a private sector version. The goal is a private sector version. U.S. SOCOM is the mechanical funding funding mechanism for deployment because the system itself is too costly for a private sector launch. The Defense Department budget is used to contract an artificial intelligence system, the Argus Anomaly Detection AI, to monitor social media under the auspices of national security. Once the DOD-funded system is created, the Argus Detection Protocol, the name given to the AI monitoring and control system, will then be made available to the public sector. Enterprise Argus is then the commercial product created by the DOD, which allows the U.S.-based tech sectors to deploy. The DOD cannot independently contract for the launch of an operation against a U.S. internet network, because of constitutional limits, such as via the Posse Comitatus Act, which limits the powers of the federal government and the use of federal military personnel to enforce domestic policies within the United States. However, the DOD can fund the creation of the system under the auspices of national defense and then allow the private sector to launch the same for the same intense purposes. See how that works? So, yeah. So, what's the answer? Well, someone needs to develop 
Um, an AI detection, uh, a fake news uh, AI generated image. Something's a development method that random folks can use on their own phones. You know, it's the same reasoning as the gun control argument. America cannot, the mainland United States cannot be invaded because everyone or most normal citizens have guns. That's why they're, that's why the left and the deep state is so anxious to get them away from us. Now, it's, it's also, it's also a case of the importance of having private property. The fact that housing is so expensive is because, you know, the, the Federal Reserve that, which is really the root of so much criminal activity in the government has made homeownership impossible and made it the uh, purview of the ultra-wealthy. So what really needs to happen is a grassroots, you know, tool for regular people to detect this information. Don't put it in the control of the elites or the government or the big tech overlords. Give it to the people. Let the people arm themselves, let the people own property, and let the people detect fake news for themselves. Moving on. Twitter files. Former CIA agent tried to hide a role at Twitter after smearing Hunter Biden laptop from Hell Story. So I'm reading the, uh, UR, the URL here before the actual headline appears on the screen. A former CIA agent who signed the infamous open letter that smeared the New York Post's Hunter Biden laptop story as Russian disinformation, later tried to conceal her role at Twitter, according to newly unearthed emails. So this article is from Breitbart. It's from August 31st. Via the Twitter files, subsec journalist Texas Lindsay found an email from Natabakos, formerly a counterterrorism agent at the CIA, telling her superiors that she had locked down her LinkedIn and Twitter after the New York Post published a photo of her and other former intelligence officials who had signed the letter. Remember this? Laptop from Hell Story? And all these um, intelligence wonks saying, oh, it's fake news? It's Russian disinfo? They lied! And she was, this, and this gal at Twitter was one of them. Bakos is one of the uh, many former intelligence officials who are working at the same social media platforms that censored the laptop story. It is now an uncontested fact that the major social media platforms are in part moderated by members of the American intelligence community in armor of the deep state watching over all of our online communications. Just what Conservative Treehouse has been saying, just what Sticks has been saying, big tech is not really a bunch of private companies. Really any publicly traded corporation anymore is an extension of the government. It's an extension of the state. Or you might say it's a proxy of the state. Corporations can do things that the government is legally prohibited from doing, and they do it on behalf of the government to to um, trample our rights. Whether it's the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Second Amendment, anything in the Bill of Rights, they can spy on you without a warrant. So, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Speaking of needing a warrant. Police in New York City are just saying to hell with it. This is news from what have pertinent yesterday, it being Labor Day. 
NYPD using drones to monitor New York City backyard Labor Day parties, spurring privacy concerns. New York City Police Department plans to pilot unmanned aircrafts, aircrafts over large gatherings in an effort to enhance security over Labor Day weekend. So, those attending outdoor parties and barbecues in New York City this weekend may notice an uninvited guest looming over their facilities, a police surveillance drone. The New York City Police Department plans to pilot the unmanned aircrafts in response to complaining private events over Labor Day weekend, officials announced Thursday. The plan drew immediate backlash from privacy and civil liberties advocates, raising questions about whether such drone violate existing laws or police surveillance. Never mind police laws. It violates the Fourth Amendment. That's the uh, that's the amendment in the Bill of Rights that says law enforcement needs a warrant to uh, search your house or your person or your papers or whatever. So, like, this is illegal right out of the gate. Right now I'm thinking of that meme of some random couple in their backyard throwing rocks at a police drone from the from the drone's point of view, and that just cracks me up and warms me up at the same time, warms my heart at the same time. Now, going back to the AI um, disinformation issue, coming back to Breitbart, 90% of online content may be AI-generated garbage by 2026. So um, a recent report from Europol warns that by 2026, as much as 90% of online content could be generated by artificial intelligence, Raising concerns that the web might be even more jammed with useless garbage in a few short years than it is today. So we're going to need some way of detecting it. Not for the big tech executives to monitor it, but for the people to monitor it. So, and really a lot of this is aimed at jamming, gumming up the works over issues of fake news and trusting the experts, so such and such, so-called. So, um... I do think AI-generated art is a big is a big opportunity for independent creators, like comic book creators, authors, independent filmmakers. But it's also a method of, you know, cheesing and spoofing and hoaxing and defrauding the public as far as like public affairs go. So. Some of that AI-generated art is really convincing, but you can just, it's not quite perfect. It's close, but not quite there. Kind of in that uncanny valley. So we're going to really need to count on everyone's uncanny valley um, senses here and hopefully have some sort of like mass-produced, decentralized, blockchain-based AI detection. Next, auto obsession wave could involve robots doing work that banks can't. Um, yeah, I'll just skip that one. Oh, this is good. This is from the Post Millennial. Elon Musk announces X is considering suing the Anti-Defamation League for defamation. Well, insist they drop the A in their name. Elon Musk announced Monday that he's considering suing the Anti-Defamation League to clear the X platform's name. Sorry, sorry, the uh, text is jumping all around me here. 
cut the page loads. This comes out from Newsbrook that X is still down around 6% in U.S. ad revenue as the ADL continues to put pressure on its advertisers to skip the wildly popular social media platform. Further, it has revealed that the ADL has put pressure on the X to deplatform popular anti-woke accounts Libs of TikTok, which is run by a conservative Jewish woman, Shia Rashik. So everyone says, oh, if you oppose the ADL, you're anti-Semitic. Well, no. ADL is no better than BLM. It's a, it's a front. It's a scam. It uses things like racism and tolerance as a cover for their um for their for their criminal activity. Just the same as the Democrats, just the same as the communists and Nazis and Al-Qaeda. I mean, they use propaganda and ideology as a smokescreen for... (laughs) Excuse me, they use ideology and so-called moral values as a smokescreen for their fraud, for their criminal activity. So, just saying that. And here's another thing to end the segment on a positive note. Zuckerberg's Twitter killer app struggles for traction. This is from the Epic Times. By the way, it's Zero Hedge again. Zero Hedge really ought to be everyone's go-to news source. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg's microblogging platform Threads launched a great acclaim as Instagram's Twitter killer in July appears to be showing signs of struggle. The initial signs for Threads were extremely encouraging. The platform, nearly a carbon copy of Twitter, known as X, pulled in a staggering 100 million signups in less than five days. Forbes senior contributor uh, John Katzier, I think that's how you pronounce it, looks German to me, outlined how Twitter had imploded under the leadership of Elon Musk and cited the instant credibility and simplicity of threads as an alternative. So, that's a warning sign about trusted Forbes. Yet nearly two months from its seemingly successful launch, Zuckerberg's vision of stealing Twitter's thunder may be a little more than a pipe dream. Even NBC admitted on August 24th that the platform is struggling for traction. An analysis of Android users by SimilarWeb, a data-driven analytics, a digital data analytics company, estimated the daily active users on Threads and Red App peaked at 49.3 million in early July and fell to 10.3 million after a month, a drop of nearly 80%, the media outlet reported in mid-August. A week after its July 5th launch, Daily active threads users peaked at around 26.7 million, then gradually declined to around 13.5 million by the month's end, it said. Some celebrities who joined the platform before it was available to the public, such as Jennifer Lopez and Tom Brady, haven't posted at all since launch week. Mr. Beast, the YouTube star, who was the first user to reach 1 million followers on threads, stopped posting about a month ago. So, one of the most common theories among conservatives for the platform's underwhelming start is that while Twitter has finally embraced free speech, Threads is a platform governed by strict content moderation and politically driven censorship. And they also steal your data. Like they, they're upfront about that when when you when you create a profile, when you create an account. I have not created an account on Threads. I'm very I'm satisfied with Facebook and Instagram. I'm not going on Threads. Screw that. It's like TikTok. It's like AIDS. But that's just something to um, kind of point and laugh at and have a good warm fuzzy over. So we're going to end the segment with another great resource for you in the affiliate links in the account in the description of this video. 
That is NordVPN. I'm talking about I talk about online privacy a lot, and you can you can achieve that with NordVPN. A VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, and it's a way to hide your your internet history from either big tech or the government or cyber criminals. But I repeat, but I repeat myself. Uh, you can secure your online browsing history. You know, I always I always say this. Stal- Joseph Stalin's head head of secret police. I can never remember his name, but um, he once famously said, "You bring the man, and I'll find you the crime." Now, I know you're all law-abiding citizens, everyone who watches my program. But if the government and the powers of be wanted to get you for something, they could just pick and choose from anything you um you look at online and say and twist it in their strange logic, the same way Fannie Willis is persecuting President Trump. So, take, you know, Donald, Donald Trump did nothing wrong. Rudy Giuliani did nothing wrong. But you've got, you know, weirdos like these activist DAs going after them. Don't give them any ammunition to go after you. Protect your privacy with a VPN. Another benefit of a VPN is that you can access content from other regions. Say you want to uh, view something on Netflix that's only available in maybe the United Kingdom. You can set your VPN to the United Kingdom on your computer or on your TV. NordVPN works on multiple devices. And you can watch that content from, from the UK. You can watch from Japan or Australia or Brazil. You know... It's a way to access it's a way to access websites that might not be available to you in your region. So consider that when you're um working on whatever. So go ahead and click on the um link in the description. You'll be supporting this channel and you'll be doing yourself a great a great service too. So looks like um NordVPN has a back back to school sale, so get 60% off on VPN for the first for three months. So NordVPN's always got some sort of deal, so that's really um, fortuitous here. We are we are going almost to uh, two and a half hours here. Um, I think it's time to talk about arts and entertainment and gaming, and then we'll wrap it up. Time for the culture war portion of the uh, stream, and then we'll um, call it good. Saints Row developer Volition shuts down after 30 years. So Saints Row, for you uh, normies and traditional upstanding citizens, Saints Row is a was like a Grand Theft Auto clone. It's where you play, I think, as a it's it's, it's a video game franchise series where you play as an outlaw, that's a criminal, one of those open-world um, sandbox games, and the developer just shut down because the last title in the series was super cheesy, was super... Oh, woke is um, kind of hard to define, but it was full of that ESG, diversity, equity, inclusion crap that players just didn't care for. It was a what's-up satisfied version of Saints Row of the past, and fans didn't go for it. So, the parent company decided to shut down the studio. 
Saints Row developer Volition has announced they're shutting down after three decades of game production. The developer announced they've closed the doors as of today. Uh, that would be uh, August 31st. News confirmed or on their official LinkedIn page. Here's the full word from Volition. The Volition team has proudly created world-class entertainment for fans around the globe for 30 years. We've been driven by a passion for our community and always worked to j- deliver joy, surprise, and delight, yada, yada. The past June, Embracer Group announced a restructuring program to strengthen Embracer and maintain its position as a leader in the video game industry. So Embracer is the um, huge conglomerate that became that bought up Volition and became their parent company slash overlord. And they decided, uh, no, we don't need this anymore. They're not bringing in the they're not bringing in the revenue. So there's that. Another article from, from Niche Gamer says, as of come on. As of yesterday, September 4th, Grand Theft Auto 6 looking like a Saints Row reboot as another writer leaves. So Saints Row was originally a kind of a copycat or a tag along of the Grand Theft Auto franchise. And it looks like Grand Theft Auto is getting whistled as well. Grand Theft Auto 6 might be following in the footsteps of the Saints Row reboot as another writer who has been with Rockstar Games for 16 years has vacated the studio. Rockstar Games is the maker of Grand Theft Auto, and I don't know if it's Grand Theft Auto 4 or 5 that is like the most profitable piece of media ever. Like, it makes crazy money online selling on their online version of the game, where they just sell a whole lot of knickknacks and downloadable content. This occurred after Laszlo Jones, a writer and producer for the series for 20 years, left the company for reasons unknown back in 2020. Um, 20-year creative lead Dan Hauser also left that same year. The latest to vacate the company is Michael Unsworth, who served as a writer for the for Red Dead Redemption and a dialogue writer for Grand Theft Auto 5 and 4, Max Paint 3, L.A. Noir, Midnight Club Los Angeles, and other games. So it is said this news was learned after Unsworth updated his LinkedIn profile Reflect is moving on from the company. Back when Hauser left Rockstar Games, parent company Take-Two downplayed his departure, saying that things couldn't be better at the studio. The Saints Row reboot similarly had a long-time employees leaving the developer before it was created, so it's possible that the same type of horrid, politically correct, correct game might arrive in the form of GTA 6. So, a lot of people say this about, about Blizzard, the people that made Blizzard such a great developer back in the day are gone. They're not making the, they're not making the studio great great anymore. The same thing is happening here at Rockstar. The people who made Rockstar so epic, so successful over the past twenty or so years, they're getting all the, they're, they're getting all the games good. I mean, they know some, they know something is up. They know there's some probably some ESG crap going on, some DEI crap going on in the company. And they're going to take the chances out in the indie scene. They might make some indie games, and they might find another company to uh, work for. So they're taking their skills and their talents elsewhere. Things are not looking good for AAA video games from the big developers like Take-Two, like Activision Blizzard, like Electronic Arts, like Capcom. Well, I don't know about Capcom. I've got the warm fuzzies for them, but I don't know. 
Square Enix is in a lot of trouble. Like, they've only had one big hit this year, and that was uh, Final Fantasy 16. And I think fans have pretty much got it out of their system. But that brings us to another article. This is from Video Games Chronicle. Former PlayStation boss used Apple and Amazon as big threats to the games industry. Former PlayStation executive Sean Layden has suggested that big tech companies that are not endemic to the games industry pose one of the biggest threats to the business in its current form. Speaking at the GameIndustry.biz Investment Summit, Layden labeled the likes of Google, Netflix, Amazon, and Apple as barbarians of the gate. Now, there's a lot of talk about Apple possibly buying up uh, Disney. And Disney CEO Bob Iger said, uh, no, that's not in the works anytime soon because there'd be so much regulatory red tape to go through. But um, Apple's got the money to, to do it. I mean, they're, they're swimming in it. Right now, says Layden, we see all the big players going, oh, gaming? It's bringing in billions of dollars a year? I want a piece of that. So we have Google, Netflix, Apple, and Amazon wanting to get a piece of why don't you get a piece and try and disrupt our industry? So, yeah. Why do I talk about pop culture and gaming? Because that's where a lot of the uh, political issues come, come originate from. Andrew Bart, Bart famously said, politics runs downstream of the culture. So, we got to deal with the culture war. And we got to deal with all the awoke crap that's, you know, infecting corporate entertainment. Now, this is actually a big opportunity for independent entertainment. There's a huge, huge independent gaming scene that's going on right now. People are selling their game. People are small studios that are like Amy Bespoke on a shoestring budget. They're having great success on platforms like Steam, which you can download on your PC. They're having a great time on the Nintendo Switch. And all these um, legacy AAA big developers, they're going through so much, you know, bloat they've got so much you know such huge production costs and such huge marketing budgets that they might be making a lot of money but they're not making as many um titles per year and it's 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 wearing on gamers patience like you know i'm a i was i grew up in the 8-bit and 16-bit eras i remember you know super mario brothers i remember mega man star tropics legend of zelda the 2d zelda and I mean that's I mean that that's what tripped my trigger. And I'm really looking at some of the Steam games I've got on my computer, like River City Girls, Hollow Knight, um, uh, Mega Man X Legacy Collection. If I ever have some, if I ever have enough time to um, play games, I'm going to dig into those retro style, those throwback style games, those TV 2D independent games, uh, Mega Man notwithstanding. So. <clears throat> they're a lot more affordable. They're a lot more easy. They're a lot easier on your hardware. I mean, it's it's great for us for middle for penny pitchers like me. So big tech can have the uh, AAA industry. Let, let the indies do their thing. So one AAA title that released this last weekend and is. Going over like a little balloon is Starfield, the latest from Bethesda. Now, Bethesda had a huge controversy over Fallout, 6, Fallout 76 a few years ago. Fallout 76 was a adventure game where you play as a 
some sort of wanderer going out exploring a post-apocalyptic Earth. It's a long-running franchise, and Fallout 76 was a dud. It had so many problems, it had so many controversies, that Bethesda's reputation still hasn't recovered. They just released um, this new game, Starfield, where you supposedly explore the galaxy in spaceships or whatever. I don't know, just... I like RPGs, I like sci-fi, but this looks dull as hell. Starfield players claim that New Game Plus is where the real game starts. So New Game Plus is always you complete the you complete the story mode of the game the, or the campaign, or whatever. Then you get then you unlock extra features. That's called New Game Plus. And saying, oh, that's when the real fun starts. So why can't it start during the initial campaign? This article is from Nexerda. I don't know if I'll read the whole thing here. But what I really want to get to is Yeah, some heel versus babyface. Because he went, he went on a rant. He went viral. Other kind of creators have talked about it at length. In a lot more detail than I can. But Tom Piker, pervert par excellence, Tom Piker insinuates he wants to lobotomize gender identity politics. So I was up late watching um, D-Day Cobra friend of as i'm a huge fan of both both guys jeremy from dd cobra as from heel versus babyface they're both part of the uh, friday night tights crew i was watching i was watching jeremy watch as live stream his playthrough of starfield and the the run-up of events that led him to go through this huge 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 crazy rant slash outburst over gender identity there's this one character who says, who looks female, but she says she's a clone of a male admiral, and she also happens to be a person of color. And it's like, okay, that sounds fine, but knowing what we know now about the dark side of the trans movement, of the gender identity politics, that's not something to hang your hat on, Bethesda. We know of the connection between the trans movement and Antifa. We know about the whole child mutilation agenda. We know about, you know, Dylan Mulvaney. We've, we've seen successful boycotts of Bud Light and Target and Disney. We have seen male athletes invade women's spaces, women's sports, female locker rooms. I mean, if you're a trans individual and you're a law-abiding citizen and you care about the rights of the individual, and you don't, and you don't mean anyone harm. Okay, good for you, but you gotta know that there are some bad actors trying to use you like a Trojan horse, and we've got to call that out, and we got to call out anyone who tries to uh, shoehorn the trans, you know, propaganda in our entertainment, and call it out, and make sure that we, you know, see see the forest for the trees. That's not necessarily what As said, but that's that's my view on the whole issue. And go ahead and um, subscribe to Hill vs. Babyface on YouTube. If he's on Rumble, definitely follow him on there. I that'd be a lot better, you know, situation. But we are coming up to the end of this uh, stream. I got a I got a lot more articles in the queue, but I think I'm going to just upload them to the web 
to the blog to the website. So um, we're gonna we're gonna almost wrap it up here. Actors Union SAG-AFTRA could launch video game strikes over wages and AI. So is it has, it, has it been three or four months since the whole writers' strike started, and then the actors joined in. SAG-AFTRA, the union for United States actors, is moving towards a potential strike against video game publishers. It's announced. The union, which is behind Hollywood act, the Hollywood actor strike, which has taken place since July, said on Friday it had authorized a member's vote after it reached a stalemate in negotiations with game companies such as Activision and Take-Two over wages and AI protections. So, yeah, a lot of actors uh, do voiceover work for for game for voice for uh, video games. So, um, the thing is, though, no one really cares. Who's voicing the video games? Like they don't voice actors don't have the same star power as actors in other media. So it's like this is another great this is another great opportunity for the uh, indie developers. They can they can use AI. They can cut, they can create like their own made up voice actor, make it spit out some lines, and use that instead. Sagaftra is not in the cap in such a situation. So. I think the moral of the story is the old, the old, the old world is dying. The new world is coming into being. Now is the age of monsters. So, you know, Razor Fist always talks about the Iron Age of comics. Like this, this is the chance for independent, you know, comics creators. You see Ethan Van Skyver. You see uh, Eric July doing super big numbers on crowdfunding sites or on their or on their own platforms. You see indie game developers thriving on Steam and on Switch. You see indie developers, you see independent authors writing their novels on, say, Google Google Docs and spitting out illustrations with AI. I mean, now is the age, now is a big opportunity for independent creators and just stick it to the uh, old corporate system. Stick it to the um, corporate, you know, studios like Disney, like Warner Brothers Discovery. Stick it to the old, you know, corporate game developers like EA, like Activision. Take your money out of, well, this, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not giving financial advice, just you don't need the corporations anymore. Which brings us to the last sponsor, the last affiliate I want to um, mention today. And that is iTrust Capital. Now, iTrust Capital is a service that lets you um, save for retirement, not necessarily in stocks or 401k, but in crypto and in gold and silver. I have transferred my retirement plan to iTrust Capital. So, if you don't feel like you want to support you know, corporations with their ESG mandates and you don't want to your retirement plan controlled by say BlackRock or Vanguard or onto a corporations using your retirement money. One option is to one option, I'm not saying this is financial advice, I'm not telling you to do this outright, but this is an option. Take your retirement fund and move it to a, a platform that respects your wishes. You can invest in Bitcoin, you can invest in all these uh um, cryptocurrencies that have been vetted to be legit, not, 
uh, any like flash the pan, road pull or pump them scheme, but legit cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, like Ether, like basic tension token, like uh, curve down, they're they're just going across the greener. Or you can invest in gold and silver. It's your choice. So that's this is one way to take control of your um financial future and keep, take it away from you know the powers of be who wants to invo- to impose woke ideology and communist bullcrap on the world. So click on the link. You'll be supporting the program and you'll be doing yourself a favor. So with that, I'm going to let you go. All right. We're going to check Super Chats here. We've already gone longer than I intended. But uh, I'm going to have to do better about trimming, about editing, and choosing which articles I want to I want to cover because there's so much good stuff, interesting stuff going on in the world. I just, I just have a hard time editing. Nothing on Rumble, nothing on Odyssey, but that's fine. Like I, like I always say, I'm going to leave. If the page will load. Also, you can go to my website, natehouseman.net, link in the description. And you can see a lot of other uh, news stories that I share from around the web and the memes that I create for those. Takes control away from these elites and build a parallel system. So, I'll let you go. I'm your husband. Why do you know? It's okay to stand up for yourself. Over and out.